This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good Friday morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. Holy cow, it's Friday. You made it. And uh, today we will be uh, talking about everything from processes in your organization. How do you create a healthier system uh, with a systems engineer expert? It's going to be pretty interesting because, by the way, I don't know if you're noticing it. The Republicans are having a pretty hard time passing what would seem to be a fairly you know, unified issue. Wrong. Wrong. Is it, though? Well... Isn't this kind of contrary to what the Republicans have kind of pushed for the last eight years of the let's let's end the welfare state, let's end handouts, and this is just a huge well, kind of handout to people? But there, more it was just to repeal Obamacare. Well, How it, many yeah. times did we hear that? Right. And they can't even get together on that? Hmm. The tangled web. And I'm telling you. It's not going to get any easier. So, uh, and even Donald Trump, President Trump, had a little throwdown last night. Okay, okay, we're doing it. This is now or never. Now it's, or never. It's interesting. You mentioned business, and Trump, of course, is a businessman. He's man, a businessman, and well, you're always he, he was. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, true. There, there are no more ties there. Um, you always hear in business, don't turn down this idea until you come to me with a better one. Right. Right? Yeah. And so are they doing it for the sake of just because it's Obamacare or do they really have a better plan? I don't know that they have a better plan yet or everyone would be on board, wouldn't they? They, At least all the GOP would be. They don't have a plan the whole GOP likes. They introduced the bill and this whole process had been 17 days. (sighs) Seems sort of rushed. Well, and it it, it seems like we're in a big hurry. Like, cause, because they set a date for a vote. They're setting deadlines that don't actually have any sort of – they're arbitrary. This is why I never give any dates for anything. Then there's no expectation. I'm nice. going on a date tomorrow night, actually. Does your wife know? Yes. She planned it. Oh, you're going with her? Yes. That's good. Not where a mandate. You, where are you going? We are – Is this a birthday celebration? Yes. 34 years. We're stretching it out over the week. Yeah, way to... You going to the bounce house? I wish, yeah. but my wife is expecting. So right. it's funny because well, we're she running... she can watch. She yeah. doesn't have to... <laughs> like, we're running... like the rest of the moms. <laughs> I was running down the list in my head of, oh my gosh, we could go to that uh, speedy cart race place. Yeah, and, uh, no, can't no, do that. Don't do that. We go rock... No, no can't go rock don't climbing. Don't go rock climbing. B- bounce out? No. No. You can go floating in a pool. <laughs> Just go float. Just sit in our jacuzzi at home. <laughs> she can sit a lot at places. So any places where she can be, you know, you could moving. you could watch you can watch the sweet sixteen down to the elite eight. Well, that'd be sitting on your couch, or yes. maybe sitting at a restaurant. Holy cow! The Jayhawks played Purdue Boilermakers yesterday. Incredible game for the first half. Hmm. Incredible, and then apparently the Boilermakers yeah. got tired. Well, but. but Honestly, those Jayhawks, they're going to win it. Tough work. So. Jayhawks have got it. You think so? Yeah. They got the inside track. What about Duke? Have you seen them play? Well, I Gonzaga I, apparently I haven't advanced. Seen, I, yeah, Gonzaga advanced. Yeah. I haven't seen Duke play forever right. since the beginning of the season. But the Jayhawks are fast. Mm. They remind me of me back in the day. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Apparently their point guard is one of the uh, top 
alleged picks in the NBA. Really? Draft. He's yeah. going to be wow. Allegedly. Why do they re- why do they remind you of you? Were you a hawk in a different life or something? No, I was just a really speedy fast guard. Oh, I see. Mm. Yeah. Crossing? Yeah. I worked uh I worked Dilworth Elementary <laughs> helping those kids across the street. Thank you though for bringing that up. Uh lots of fun ahead. We'll talk about um you know, managing your business systems, making them better with a, with an engineer as well as also, um, of course, more empty news mm. and headlines, some of which you might even need to know. But first, let's get to the real headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? On Thursday evening, after nearly 12 hours of delay, the House of Representatives voted along party lines to implement martial law. A term that in this instance doesn't mean a military coup, but rather a loophole that allows them to hold a floor vote on a bill that was marked up and changed the same day. Oh, the martial law. Yeah. The vote was uh, 227 to 189 along party lines. The move clears the way for the House to quickly bring the bring to the floor their Obamacare repeal bill when they when and if they finally reach an internal agreement on what it should be, since they're still changing it as they're bringing it to the floor today. A final vote on the bill is expected uh, later on today at some point. President Trump issued an ultimatum saying pass the bill on Friday or he will move on from the repeal and replace cause leaving Obamacare in place and then watch it implode and blame the Democrats. That's that's another plan they're trying to implement. But in every little town meeting he had... He, he vowed he would fix it, and now he's just like throwing it hour. out. Yeah, I'm yeah. done. If we're not doing it now, I'm never doing it again. Right. So hmm. Weird. That's weird. I don't, I'm not sure how you spin that one. Yeah. White House staff and House Republicans met Thursday night making some changes to the bill. Republicans came up with a proposed change to the measure on Thursday, which would eliminate the, clause, the, the law's, quote, essential benefits that insurers must offer under the, under the Affordable Care Act. Apparently, President Obama had a list of 10 essential benefits. Among those were mental health treatment, wow, wellness visits, okay. maternity and newborn care. Those okay. were essential, and now those are being cut, apparently, from the bill. Yeah, they're not essential. But did you see the picture of the, t- the group of health care people meeting on this bill yes. about women's health care? It was a group of dudes. Yeah, no, men, no oh, women in the room. There was like 20 men sitting around a table, wow. which is something that never sits well. House Intelligence Committee Chairman David Nunez now doesn't know for sure whether President Trump or his transition team were part of the communications he initially cited as potential proof the president had been wiretapped by the previous administration. Oops. He said he'll have to get to the, all the documents he requested from the intel community about this before he knows for sure, says his spokesperson, since he didn't want to come out and but, address the issue. But he already wrong. spoke, right? He spoke to the president. He spoke to the press before he talked to his fellow committee members who were Democrats or Republicans. And now he's walking the whole thing back saying, I'm not even sure what I was talking about. Maybe. Maybe. What day is it? What day is it? <laughs> So we'll see where that goes. The Senate voted 50 to 48 along party lines Thursday to repeal an Obama-era law that requires Internet service providers to obtain permission before tracking what customers look at online and selling that information to other companies. Hmm. The repeal is supported by major Internet companies, no way, like Facebook, Google, who have huge ad networks and want to sell things to you, as well as Internet providers like Verizon and AT&T, who are currently working to set up their own advertising networks so they can sell things to you. Um, there are two sides to this, says Senator Ed Markley, who is opposed to repealing consumer privacy protections. You want the entrepreneurial spirit to thrive, but you all also have to be able to say no. I don't want you in my living room. Yes, we're capitalists, but we're capitalists with a conscience. 
Okay. So I'm not sure which way is going to win out, but it looks like your internet did, surfing might be available. Did, did he to say capitalists that are unconscious? No, conscious. Okay. He says we we should do this with some sensibility. Except okay. it seems like oh, with they, a conscience. There, oh. There's a clause where they could possibly put in an opt-in situation okay, yeah, yeah. where you could tell your internet provider, yes, you can yeah. sell my information, but others may not have to put that in. So they just sell it. Wow. Hopefully they're conscious. Well, yeah. <sighs> Apparently not in Congress lately. <laughs> we'll see what happens. On uh, on Tuesday, this is our end finally. On Tuesday, Supreme Court confirmation hearing, Judge Neil Gorsuch was asked by Arizona Senator Jeff Flake whether he'd rather fight 100, a, what, 100 duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck. It's a great question. Apparently they were killing some time. <laughs> With his 10 minutes of questioning. And he just decided, Senator Flake, who said he was passing along a question from his son, because he asked his family, what should I be asking? What kind of questions should I ask? So his teenage son is like, well, there was this thing on Reddit where everyone's asking, when they do their, uh, they call them ask me anything, their Uh question and answer sessions. This is a popular question to see what the people are going to say. What was his answer? Um, He didn't answer. Hit the... My family's been texting me throughout this process, uh, asking me to ask questions that they would ask. I ask a few of them, uh, you know, for suggestions. And my son, Dallin, a teenager, said, ask him if he would rather fight 100 duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck. (laughs) (laughs) I'd never heard it either. Apparently, it was a question on Reddit a while ago, ago, but... uh, but anyway, that, that's where it's going from here, you can, I think. You can, you can tell him I'm very rarely at a loss for words. Okay, all right. <laughs> but you got me. So, Matt, huh. how would you answer that question? 100 horse size or duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck, which would you fight? I'd rather fight 100 little ones. It makes more sense. Yeah. You feel like you – I mean, a horse-sized duck is huge. Yeah, that's huge. And they that once you got a beak that big, yeah, it's quite the weapon. It ain't pretty. And I I had two ducks. But if they're duck sized horses, you could probably yeah. kick a few. You just get a lawnmower out. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that sounds violent, but yeah, we're yeah. not we're not advocating the this, harming of animals. Let me then... let me get this straight. This was the questioning to the Supreme Court justice nominee. Yeah. Uh huh. Okay. You know where where you're trying to vet his opinion on key mm-hmm. issues and see if he is truly the candidate that we should be yeah. putting on the Supreme Court. He seemed Court. to dodge it. Yeah, a little bit. He didn't want to go near that. Question. He did that quite a bit. Um, and then now apparently uh, we're going to have a an entire filibuster on this whole thing. Yeah, that's what uh, Chuck Schumer said. Chuck Schumer is saying he's threatening that. We're going to filibuster. Like, oh, but they okay. also think he might just be positioning for what to. To hopefully get the Republicans to give in on something somewhere, and then they won't filibuster, huh? Because he doesn't necessarily want them to do the nuclear option, yeah. Right now, save that nuclear option for the next one, right? But who knows? Because it came out of his mouth, mm-hmm. and a lot of times in Congress, you don't know what to believe when it comes out of someone's mouth. Yeah, you know, you don't know. No. Especially nowadays where one day there's a huge breach of intelligence, the next day, eh, not, not so much. A, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Not even sure. I might have needed to read some things before I spoke. I like ice cream. <laughs> I think there's a breach of intelligence a lot of times on this show. What do you mean? What do you mean? Uh, I'm going to dodge that question. Wow. Wow. 
You don't say dodge. You actually like verbally. You just dodge. Avoid it. it. Well, I'm I'm being honest. Right. You're an honest dodger. Hey, uh, Xavier kicked out Arizona huh? in the big dance. Charles Xavier? No. That's oh, Xavier. By the way, school. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's got a school. Charles Xavier has a school. Yeah, it's a school for gifted youth. Wow. You guys watch a lot of TV, don't you? Movies. Yeah. And TV. Because, you know, they were in the cartoons, too. March Madness. Yes. It continues. And it continues being mad. Sounds like you partook of, of the game. I did. I was babysitting my beautiful, perfect granddaughter with my wife. And my kids, and we watched the game and chased my daughter around the house. That sounds like fun. It was really hard. Yeah. That's why you're supposed to have children when you're young. Mm. It's hard to be, you know, it's hard to get up and down. So once once I'm on the ground with her and she starts to bolt, <laughs> she has easily about a 20-second head start. And you got to have that lateral movement to get in front yeah. of the child. Uh, yeah. And you just don't have that anymore. And she, she's got a really good, like, first head step. fake. She's good got a great step. head fake. <laughs> <laughs> Those kids, they're they're easy. I mean, they're hard to follow because they've got such larger heads. Their right. heads are large. Right. So she puts that head fake out there, and I just take it every time. In, in high school football, they told us we're going to tackle somebody, especially you're, you're going after the running back. You need to watch their hips. Yeah. Because they can fake you with the shoulders yeah. or with their feet or something, but their hips are always going to tell you where they're going. That's true. That's a great point. The but problem her, with the children is their hips are so close to the ground, it's so hard to, to stare at. Yeah. And her hips, it's distracting because she's got a diaper on. Right. And they're just, it's huge. Yeah. yeah. You don't know where her hips begin and where the diaper ends. Right. You know? Yeah. But I mean, that's just a tip. It's a great tip. <laughs> so for all you grandparents, always watch the hips, not the, the head. Does she have quality balance? Yeah. She's pretty okay. good. You right. know, Shakira said it best. Tips don't lie. Shakira? You're yeah. quoting Shakira. She was on that list of the top 50 leaders in the world. Really? But President Trump wasn't on, but the president of the Cubs was the most powerful man. Oh, wow. That's a funny now, list. Yeah, now, yeah. you say I quote Shakira, but you got to know that behind the lyrics of that song, there's some 40-year-old man who wrote it. I doubt it. I don't think she wrote it. <laughs> no. But it's probably a 20-year-old man that wrote it. You'd be surprised. You would be surprised. I could see you writing like some hip rap song. And you got to know it's it's some, you know, music aficionado who was cl- classically trained who's just going over the song in his yeah. head like, oh, my hips don't lie. <laughs> 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 On his that's heart how he's, That's how he's running through it in his mind. But he's like. I don't think this is going to translate very well. <laughs> See, and when my wife was pregnant, she got so annoyed because I said that quite a bit. Because she'd stand up and be like, oh, my hips. And I go, hips don't lie. And she goes, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> shut your mouth. Yeah. That sounds like something you don't say to your pregnant wife. Yeah. Things you don't say to your pregnant wife. Hey, the hips don't lie. Yeah, you don't say that. You don't say you're tired yeah. to your pregnant wife. Right. Oh, I'm so tired. I only got like seven hours last night. Yeah, you don't say, whoa, you're getting big. You don't say I, that. I did that one day because I looked up. And How'd that work for you? She just looked at me like, what are you, are you a moron? Yeah, yeah. pretty much. So, like, or how about, There's no way your skin's going to stay intact. They love that. Is that a stretch mark? <laughs> they love that. Honey, could you go make me a sandwich? <laughs> Is this all you did today? <laughs> Famous See, last words. It's a minefield. You get, you get in so much trouble. 
You're only pregnant. Yeah. You've only got two more months. They love that. They love it. Lessons learned, folks. This is what happens when you're getting old. Beautiful lessons. Coming up next, we're going to be talking about the difference. When good enough isn't enough with a a consultant that does quality systems engineering. Interesting uh, philosopher as well. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. What is the difference between a good business and a great business? Our guest today, Subir Chowdhury, is the author of The Difference, When Good Enough Isn't Enough. And he's here today to outline for us the difference between those companies. Subir was born in Bangladesh and has received his graduate degree in industrial management from Central Michigan. He's the chairman and CEO of ASI Consulting Group and is the author of 15 books. Subir, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. This is, I think, I think such a needed topic. And interestingly, I um, I see it just as I try to watch Congress uh, pass uh, legislation, and I see the complexity of the systems going on up in uh, up in in Congress. The inability to really get through, even on even when they come from the same party, they can't get together on a health care bill. Creating quality initiatives, it, it's a hard thing. And I know as an expert in, in that field, um, you've got some pretty great insight for us. Talk to me about what is it that really creates quality? Um, I think it's an excellent question. Um, and as you pointed out about our government, that is a completely you know different level. You know, they are like almost maybe 50 years behind than a traditional <laughs> traditional. Uh, companies, right? But even in the even in the traditional companies, uh, what uh, you know, normally when I define quality, uh, what I call it as a quality is the combination of the process power and the people power. And all my last uh, twenty years of my life, of my professional life, I literally uh, uh, worked and helped organizations on the process uh, perspective. And when I talk about uh, process. Uh, basically, a majority of the companies uh, in all types of different functions, a lot of the broken processes there, right? And um, so my expertise is come in and try to help them how to fix those processes, but how to make those processes robust, uh, because any broken processes is the one which literally um, uh, affect the company's bottom line. Right. Know, it basically, right? So, so for an example, you know, most of the companies, you know, uh, I literally, depending on the size of the company, uh, we save like $20 million to all the way up to, you know, $2 billion, you know, that kind of uh, savings I made, you know, depending on the size of the company. Um, then what happened was um, five years ago, I kind of hit a wall, you know, and what I mean by that is uh, I'm, I'm seeing that, suppose uh, for the sake of discussion, there is a two same size company and uh, from the same industry uh, just for the you know uh, you know for an example purpose it can be gm or ford or maybe boeing and airbus and same size company um, same industry but one is getting uh, you know 10x return another one is getting 100x return right right and uh, 
Then the question comes to, and suppose both of them are using my process, use me as a consultant. So why is getting, one is getting 10x, another one is getting 100x? That literally um, kind of shocked me. You know? and, and initially what I thought, maybe we are not good teachers, maybe our process is flawed, whatever we are teaching. So uh, first look at our own self, and then what we find out, no, if somebody gets 100x, that means we are doing something right. So we then started that between those companies, you know. So last five years, I've been starting all types of organizations, um, try to understand uh, what is the reason, you know, one company is getting 10x, one is 100x. And then what my finding is, is processes are used by the people. It's nothing to do with process itself. So people are the one who is using the processes. So the company which is getting um, 100x return, majority of the people, from the bottom to the top, um, literally have something I call it as a caring mindset. Mm. And the companies which only getting 10x return, they may not have caring mindset. So what do you mean by that? Yeah. Like, so for an example, um, for example, the companies whom uh, we uh, suppose both the companies we help and, and the companies who are getting 100x return, suppose we did a project in which we, one particular project, one individual, Suppose that project saved them $100,000. Once we teach them the methodology, that employee has the caring mindset. That employee do another project and apply the same principle. Then they do the another project. So, so the, over time, he might be doing in a given year four or five projects, and they are making you know, half a million dollars or $600,000, that person being the saving. The other company, which only does only 10x, that employee on that company – they don't have that caring mindset. So after my first, pro- after we saved that, you know, help them how to get the hundred thousand dollars return, they get that. Then, then they are not. They wash their hands. They said, "Hey, I just did this project because my boss said so. I don't care, right?" Right. Then they wash their hands. So because of that, you know, this ten x versus hundred x happen. So then what I thought is that I said, you know what, as a teacher, how can I? help this company to develop caring mindset. And that's what this book is all about, the new book. Um, last four, like I wrote 15 books, and this is my 15th book. Far, far, you know, last 14 books I, I've written is all process-related. And this one is the first book I've written is on the people-related. Huh. And, yeah. and the reason I wrote that is the people-related. And plus, the thing is that what is beauty about this, what I'm also finding, is not about just only caring mindset at workplace. Is also caring mindset in community, caring mindset at your home. Because once you develop the caring mindset, the power of it, you can apply everywhere. It's not just only, you know, we are not like a, you know, a very cool person at home and then a different person at, in, in, in office. That is not the case. Mm. You know? so, um, so in the caring mindset, I talk about the four distinct human quality. And I call it as a star. S-T-A-R. And SDAR stands for a straightforward, thoughtful, accountable, and resolved. These are the four uh, elements of straightforward, thoughtful, accountable, and resolve. Right. And you, you I, I love uh, the example you give of how you how you can detect a a person that has that caring mindset in an organization by simply the toothpick metaphor. Talk about, uh, talk about that because even that makes sense 
um, uh, the caring mindset. I mean, every congressperson, every senator seems to have the caring mindset or they would say they do because we think it's just about caring about everything. But caring is really showed in what you do in the most basic thing. Absolutely. So think about that. Like the toothpick metaphor I gave it is because I was invited by a Fortune 500 company and um, uh, one of the vice president of quality, I had a meeting with him at 8 in the morning. As soon as I walked in in his office, uh, he, uh, before I even sat in, as soon as I handshaked with him, he said, hey, Shabir, you know, uh, I need to ask you a very serious question. I said, okay. Um, so I kind of, you know, he looked like very disturbed and very stressed. So I said, hey, look, yesterday the J.D. Power report came out. Is your boss is upset? And he said, no, 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 let's talk about this question. I said, okay, what is the question? He said, Shabir, what would you do when you use a toothpick? After using a toothpick, what do you do with the toothpick? And I looked at him and I said, what kind of question is that? You know, and then I was asked, trying to ask him different questions. He said, no, 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 answer me the question. I said, hey, look, first of all, if I ever use a toothpick, after using it, I put it in, put it in the dustbin. He said, he said, Shabir, look, I asked the same question in the morning to my secretary. She said the same thing. I asked my, all my direct reports. They said the same thing. I said, so? He said, you know, Shabir, today morning I had a meeting, 6 in the morning, with my CEO. And after the meeting, it was a rough meeting because our J.D. Power report didn't come that well. And we have been emphasizing quality for a long time. Uh, still, we are, not, we are struggling. And when I'm coming out, um, you know, after coming out of the office of the CEO and on the walk, walkway that I found a used toothpick. Hmm. So I said, okay. He said, Shabir, that is a very serious issue. Because if I can find a used toothpick, I said, what do you do? He said, I just picked it up and throw it in the dustbin. But the point is, there might be thousands of toothpicks across the organization. If somebody doesn't care and put a used toothpick on the floor, that tells me, even if, if you are really mad, it's still you should not do that. He said, that means that it's not about what we are practicing as a process quality. We have to make sure that we have to create the mindset so that there is not tooth, no more toothpicks in all of our different departments. And that is a very profound, um, you know, uh, turn around the story for that particular uh, yeah. Fortune 500 company. And, and that's a sign because, of caring, right? Because if you yes, care, you throw it away. Yes, absolutely. That is the sign of caring. So you talked about the Congress, you know, you tell me how many of the congressmen are truly or senators are really in America is now very thoughtful or straightforward. You tell me right. how many of them even even how you grade themselves in in accountable and resolve area. Right. Well, see, and so, but Subir, that's that becomes the problem because it also is part of their system, right? And they're yeah. the ones that create the system and enforce the system. And yet the system itself might get people that aren't straightforward, aren't thoughtful, aren't accountable, and aren't resolved. Absolutely. So, so let me also a little bit spend a little bit time for your uh, listeners on each of these elements. Like yeah, please. Forward. When I talk about a straightforward, is you know is also um, you know we cannot blame all types of people not being a straightforward because a lot of the time the straightforwardness doesn't happen because of fear, right? Right. Because the company has a fear culture. So, and because of the fear culture and the, removing the fear culture, I think the leaders have to step up. If the leaders doesn't step up, step up, then fear culture will continue. So, uh, for an example, that a um, lot of the time, because of the being afraid, you know, um, or uh, fearful, then the dishonesty comes in, kicks in. And because of the dishonesty, 
um, initially they may not get caught. A lot of the time people think that they may not get caught, but ultimately they will get caught. Right. So think about a company like Volkswagen. Volkswagen is one of the, um, you know, German automaker. Um, they, they have some some of the best processes, some of the best innovation came out of that, automotive innovation came out of that company. But still here they are. Two years ago, um, a group of people, they installed a software in 11 million diesel cars mm. deliberately, deliberately to manipulate the emission data. And right. ultimately they get caught. So, so far, they gave in America, they gave almost $10 billion fine. There is one of their executives is already in jail. Uh, and, and maybe... You know, and plus they already, you know, like two weeks ago, they already admitted they pleaded guilty. So think about that. That is few group of people. They felt that they will outsmart government. Nobody can catch them and portray the dishonesty. And ultimately they get caught. And the, ultimately think about the impact of oh. uh, the organization. Yeah. Like billions of dollar loss. Their market share go, going Credibility. Down. And credibility, right? And the consumers losing their confidence, you know, and it is a, to fix all these things, it might take them 10, 20 years. So, and, 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 the, and what really makes me even more sad, the Cornell University did a study, white collar crime estimated to cost America $300 billion annually. Oh boy. White collar crime, yeah, yeah. $300 billion. So think about the, and I just wonder, what is the purpose of education? $300 billion for the white-collar crime, right? Unbelievable. So, and the reason is that and, and unless we give attention to it, unless we feel every single individual, because see, a lot of the time when I talk with the different level of people in the middle management or even the lower-level lower engineers or maybe in the worker level, a lot of the time they just kind of feel, they kind of tell me, hey, Shubhi, you know, I know you work with the CEOs and the senior leaders, but, you know, let me tell you, you know, in our company, this is the culture we have, but ultimately, you know, we cannot do anything about it and we cannot change. So I, I just calm them down. I said, no, okay, fine. I'll be talking to the CEOs and the senior leaders, no problem. I'll be talking to them as well. But why don't you start demonstrating yourself? You being an honest, you being an authentic, it, it cannot be just only the leader's job. It can be everybody's job. Because if everybody does not practice these four attributes, it will not be good. Right. So... And, 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 and we have a tendency to tell, hey, you know, if somebody else do, then we'll do no. My recommendation is that you start on your own. Like, so, you know, I always talk about this regarding the thoughtful, um, the second element, the thoughtful. Uh, that is very interesting to me because uh, it's very easy, easy to do, but it is also very tough to do. So, for an example, when I talk about thoughtful, my expectation is not like um, everybody to become Mother Teresa. That's right. not my expectation, right? What my expectation is that every single day when each of us wake up um, in the morning, each of us can make a pledge. What is the one thing, one thing I can do all day to make a positive impact, positive impact to another human being? That's it. What is the one thing I can do that will have a positive impact in another human being? That's beautiful. That's very yeah. easy to do. Yeah. Very easy to do. Because you can go in and you just give a hug to your colleague. And, or if your colleague is stressed, you say, hey, can I buy you a coffee? Let's, let's go for a coffee. You know, or can you go for a walk or put your hand on the person's shoulder and say, you know, what can I do for you, man? You look like a little bit stressed. 
No, that's so even that a small gesture. It's that simple, isn't it, Subir? It's like it's this doesn't have to be major stuff. So I mean, that's a great challenge. What can we do? What is the one thing we can all do to have a positive impact on another human being today? Um, a thoughtfulness question. Let's take a break, Subir. We'll come back, continue. We'll get to the A and the R, accountability and resolve up next. Subir Chowdhury is uh, with us, talking to us about his book, The Difference, When Good Enough Isn't Enough. He's teaching us some of the skills of uh, being being a healthy human inside an organization. Straightforwardness, thoughtfulness, accountability, and resolve. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us on the phone is Subir Chowdhury. He's the author of the book, The Difference, When Good Enough Isn't Enough. By the way, he's written 15 books in gen- in total, and about 14 of them were process-oriented books about kind of consulting, processing, organizational processes, um, uh, quality process. And uh, t- today he's talking about The Difference, which is a book not about the process side, but the people side. Uh, Subir Chowdhury, again, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much. This is this is great me. learning for all of us. Uh, you, you're, you talk about the fact that inside uh, – to make a difference of an organization, w- w- you have an acronym called STAR, which are four attributes, four qualities that we need to possess. Straightforwardness, thoughtfulness, accountability, and resolve – uh, you just taught us that for for uh, straightforwardness, we got we can't have a fear in our culture. We've got to we've got to be willing to to be straightforward in our language and in our actions. You talked about thoughtfulness. We don't need to be Mother Teresa, but we can always ask ourselves every day, what's the one thing I can do today to have positive impact? And you challenged us to do that to be a positive to help another human being. Now, talk to us about. Um, the accountability side of this. Uh, a lot of businesses, a lot of organizations, and even government, again, um, we, we, don't, we don't like being held accountable. Yes. Uh, like, a, and in accountability, I think what I, again, I wanted to kind of uh, quote something of Mother Teresa, and she has a fantastic quote called, do not, do not wait for leaders, do it alone. Hmm. Do not wait for leaders, do it alone. So it's basically... Accountability is all about taking the personal responsibility. And, and if you really think about that, even her own life, Mother Teresa's own life, what, what she did is that, you know, she literally walked on the street of Calcutta and literally saved the dying people or even saving children from the dustbins. And, um, you know, literally the parents throw the children in the dustbin and she found somebody's mm-hmm. crying inside the dustbin and she literally went there and picked up those children. So, and, and when she helped these dying people or these children, she didn't ask their religion. Right. She didn't get the permission from the Catholic Church or the Pope or anybody. She just did it. And 99% of the people she saved, they are not Christian. Mm. They are Hindu or Muslims. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so think about that. So she felt any human being is a child of God. And, you know, it is... Her responsibility, that's the way she felt and what she can do. And she didn't do it so that she'll know one day she'll become a saint. Right. Or, you know, that is not her intent. She just did her job. And ultimately, we made her saint, right? That's right. So, and, and the point is the similar way. 
irrespective of your position, irrespective of your, you know, whatever the position you work, you can make a difference. You can make, you know, make yourself accountable of anything you see that if you think that if a lot of the time in human behaviors are much more like, oh, okay, um, if there's a problem happen, then it's not my problem, it's somebody else's problem. We right. avoid that problem, right? right? So because we are fearful, we might get punished. Rather than, I believe, if your paycheck is coming from an organization, you should, if you see a problem, you should say, no, it's my problem. What can I do? How I can help? It is, I'm accountable for it. So first of all, in accountable, I talked about the five things. Number one is that being aware that something needs to be done. Then number two is once you recognize that something needs to be done, then the second thing would be taking personal responsibility. Then the third thing would be making a choice or decision to act. A lot of the time we find it and then we don't, you know, take any action on it. Without execution, nothing matters. And number four is thinking deeply about the potential consequences of that choice. That means either positive or negative. Mm. Whatever the act you are doing is your action, is it going to be positive impact or negative impact? And then the, and, the, and the final thing is that setting a high expectation of any results. If you have a choice that, hey, no matter what, I can make a difference, how I can help, and having the setting the right expectation is the right thing. A lot of the time I don't see the people are not setting the right expectation. So, you know, I'd like to give you a couple of examples. Yeah, please. You know, one, of them is, one of them is, like in Detroit Metro Airport, I, I found a, you know, a person, um, he's kind of a janitor in the, you know, take care of the, um, uh, of the restroom, men's uh, restroom. And, um, and that whole men's washroom looks like it, as if it is a, a hotel lobby of a five-star hotel lobby. Yeah. You know, it was like completely clean, not even a single drop of water. So I, and it was packed with people. So I was a little bit surprised by that. Yeah. So, you know, after using, you know, the restroom, I just, you know, Thing, you know what's happening so there is a particular person any drop of water after the usage he just goes in and immediately cleaning it right immediately cleaning it so i just looked at him and i i called him on his side and i asked him i said hey you know why you know not even a one drop of water coming out and you are continuously doing that i've never seen something like this most of the time um you know the person who works on your position they normally comes in every half an hour or every hour and to clean it up and he said sir you know, the reason you stopped by and talking to me, because you had a good experience in my restroom. And it is my job. Hmm. And um, I feel very proud. And I wanted to make sure every single minute I'm getting paid for my time. So I wanted to make sure that all of you, each of you, have a good experience. And a clean restroom, everybody enjoy. And that's what it's my job. Think about on the lowest level how He's thinking that he's accountable for, for his position or his job. There is, you know, any job, you know, if each of us feel that I'm accountable for it, then we can make a difference. So another example is that I wanted to give it to you is that is, is a, a 13-year-old girl. And the reason I wanted to talk about a 13-year-old girl, think about how, because she demonstrated that deep, caring mindset, how she solved the problem, a 13-year-old girl without any adult supervision or without any adult help. Her name is Trisha Prabhu. And in 2013, when she was 13 years old, she suddenly read an article, a 11-year-old Florida girl was bullied by the classmate and committed suicide. Mm. So she was so shocked, and she said, you know what, enough is enough. 
I I'm done with listening to the school. I'm done with listening to all these adults because nobody is solving this problem. I attended so many lectures about cyberbullying. Nothing is happening. What can I do? Can I solve this problem? And I'm not going to stop until I solve this issue. So she, long story short, she came up with a, a app name, Rethink. Rethink is the app's name. And what that does, you know, everybody, you know, most of the, you know, adolescents now, a lot of the schools, you know, Facebook, Google, everybody's promoting that app, and they normally install in their, um, you know, devices. After the app was installed, 93%, 93% adolescents who use that app decided not to post a heartful message after they had an opportunity to rethink. Oh, wow. What this does, you know, because what she found out in her research was the way the adolescent brain works is um, they just instantaneously do something. But if you suddenly put something in front of them and say, so this rethink app, they automatically figure it out what kind of bad word they are using or whatever. They said, are you sure you wanted to post this message? because it may hurt somebody else's feeling. Hmm. Are you sure? As soon as they see that, read that, they immediately, immediately their other side of the brain kick in, and then they said, no, I don't want to. So they stop, right? Because that is the one of the research she found out, uh, how the adolescent brain work, and that is the way she developed this Rethink app. So think about that. A 13-year-old girl, that how she took that a complex task, and how she made a contribution to the world, not yeah. just only her world, to the world, you know. And, and so, had that caring mindset and became straightforward and thoughtful and created accountability. She, she's living the principles. Exactly. Yes, she's living the principle. She doesn't have to read my difference. No, book, she didn't even you get your book, saying? did she? Right. Hey, Subir, we, we have about two more minutes. Talk to us about Resolve. Okay, Resolve is all about having the passion, determination, perseverance to find a solution to a problem or improve a solution, like improve a situation. So at any time, you know, each of us face all types of problems. When I, you know, I gave a story on the result that uh, when I came to uh, America, you know, um, uh, in 1991, um, as soon as I walked in, you know, my, my supervisor said, unfortunately, you know, I, he selected somebody else, and I don't have the scholarship. And I said, look, sir, I don't have any money. You promised me you are going to give me the scholarship, and now you are saying that I don't have any scholarship. I said, look, there's nothing. He said, nope, unfortunately, it is over. So now here I am. I landed in America, don't have any relatives, nobody. Mm. <laughs> don't know anybody over here. Wow. And here I am. What I've done is that because I have the resolve, so what I've done, I went to 23 departments. Every single department I was trying to pitch them, what can I do for them, and I can make a difference for them. And, um, you know, ultimately, long story short, on the 23rd department is the mathematics department, and they, uh, you know, interviewed me and everything else. And, and long story short, I got, and I got a uh, fellowship by Dow Chemical given by a mathematics department chair. Uh, you know, ultimately, I, you know, that paid for my master's degree. And, and the reason I think it's important is because the first 22 departments I went, I got rejection after rejection. Not only rejection, sometimes I was humiliated, sometimes I was thrown out of the room, uh, <laughs> saying that, you know, what kind of idiot I was. I'm coming to journalism department to tell them I can help the journalism graduate students, you know, that kind of stuff. But, you know, on the process of, even after rejection after rejection, I didn't give up, right, until I resolved the issue, you know. So, you know, in life, there is so many problems um, each of us face on each of our position. But if you have a true resolve, I strongly feel that you can you know, 
uh, come up with a solution. Yeah. So that is the, and a lot of the time, a lot of the problems in organization doesn't get solved because we don't have the result. So th- that, is the, th- that is the one thing, you know, I kind of strongly feel. Like, think about myself, like, when getting the 10x versus 100x return, uh, why they are not getting it, I felt maybe it is my job. Maybe as a, you know, quality consultant for the last 20 years, I'm a complete failure. Hmm. You know, it doesn't matter how many billions of dollars I saved. But why one client is getting 10x? Every client should get 100x return. Why not? What can I do? And then, because of that result, then my, you know, um, uh, like then I started working on it and digging on it and everything else. And, and, and ultimately, five years later, what happened? The book came out, you know. Yeah, so, yeah, there, and the book already became a USA Today bestseller. You know what I'm saying? That's right. That's right. And, and there it is. And, and again, it comes back down to the people. It's the people that have to implement these processes, create the processes. Subir Chowdhury, thank you so much. Great, great insight. Honored to have you on the show. The name of the book, folks, The Difference, When Good Enough Isn't Enough, uh, USA Today uh, bestseller list as well. It's about the people. It always has been. It always will be. Great stuff. We, uh, we'll take a break, my friends. When we come back, uh, we'll continue the discussion. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, as we're talking about quality, um, Jeff, I think our I think that music bed was just skipping. You might want to check it out. You think so? I huh? think it's skipping. Okay. Yeah, just look into it. I think that's the mix. Yeah. yeah. Th- there's a mix about it that's mixed. It's our dance party. Well, speaking of songs, can I sing a very quick song to introduce the next topic? Yeah, please. Who is the man who thinks is the earth is flat? Shaquille O'Neal. No. Oh. Shaq. Oh, sorry. Oh. Shaq. Yeah, that, yeah. that didn't sound like that song at all. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I, I, you lost me. I mean, maybe if it was, if we're on key, maybe yeah. I would have picked it up. And it but. sounded like the Shaft song at all. No. It huh. sounded like someone got <clears throat> shacked. <laughs> Hey, so Shaquille O'Neal's back in the news. Yes. Earlier in the week, we talked about Shaq was talking about um, the earth being flat. Right. And there's a point guard, Cleveland Cavaliers, Kyrie Irving. He said in February that he believes the earth is flat. Well, yeah, because you can't see L.A. from Atlanta. Well, that's what Shaq said. Kyrie Irving's never really talked about it. He just said, this is a personal belief, and I invite you to uh, educate yourself. (laughs) And then Shaq went off uh, on TNT a while back on one of their NBA programs where he goes, you walk out in the parking lot, you look up at the sky, you see the moon. I can see the moon. I cannot see California. The uh, moon is closer. Great point. And everyone's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and then on a podcast recently, I think it's, he has his own podcast. He was oh, talking he does? About, yeah, someone asked him about that, and he, he was talking about his belief on how he truly believes the earth is flat. Right. And he starts going into it, and the people are like, you're insane. What's this? And then last night he was on Jimmy Kimmel. And they asked him again about this. How you doing? I'm doing fine. That was a joke about the world being flat, right? Was it? <laughs> <laughs> of course it was. When I heard you say that, people were getting all excited. Yeah, it's like, there's got... no way that he wasn't joking in this situation. They got upset. And my theory is, I bought a bus a couple of summers ago. Uh-huh. So when I drive from Florida to California, it seems flat to me. I right? see. Okay. So you ever been in a flight and you get ready to land and you 
pull up the window and you and you look. Yeah. It seems flat, right? Well. So that was my theory. I'm just joking. <laughs> Relax. <laughs> Relax. They I'm almost took your PhD yeah. in education away. Yeah. They did. yeah. <laughs> Okay, and good. He, he does have a PhD. He got yeah. it in 2012. Well, yeah. So he's not backtracking. No. He was just joking. He was joking. It was just Darn a joke. It. Now, if if you've ever watched Shaquille O'Neal talk about re- I mean, really much anything, anything. Yeah. there's some serious topics, but for the most part, he's kind of he's, he's he wants to joke around and have some fun. Do you think so. Donald Trump could just say, hey, it's a joke? No. I was just joking. No. There's some. Well, the, the, I think the problem is the things that Donald Trump is dealing with is a lot more serious. Yeah. This is just – Well, mean, I don't know. The earth being flat's pretty serious. Well, yeah, but this is a former basketball player, and you're asking me what? So he started messing with whoever was talking to him. The, the, now, I wonder if Kyrie's joking. Kyrie's serious, I believe. Kyrie Irving believes the earth is flat. Yeah. And there is a number there's, of people yeah, out there whole, who believe this. I'm sure there's a whole podcast on it. And this whole – well, that was Shaq messing <laughs> around. But there's this whole concept of – is China underneath us? Hmm. And if the Earth is round, it is. Yeah, but we know, yeah. People but, don't yeah. like that concept, so. Here to learn, folks. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the show. Dr. Matt here, your guide on the side, your life coach. Doing what we can to give you a leg up in life. You know, none of us were born with an owner's manual. If only we had been. I was, but it was written in Chinese, so <laughs> useless. Interesting. Were you built in China? Um, Is that why you needed a Chinese owner's manual? That seems kind of crazy. No, you, you re- every once in a while you get an owner's manual that just shows up and for some reason yeah. doesn't have English instructions. Yeah, it's so strange. Well, today we're going to be talking about, we've heard of Generation X. I think I'm a Gen Xer. We've heard of Gen uh, Y. I guess I would be a Gen Y. Yeah, you're you're a Gen Y. Yeah, Gen Y are the millennials, eighteen to thirty-four. No, it doesn't end at thirty-four. It does end at thirty-four. No, 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 no. It does. Terry, what's the range of millennials? What's the age range? Eighteen to thirty-four. No, I don't agree with that. <laughs> Millennials. That's what I've seen, though. Yeah, no, I'm it. thinking at, at the latest late twenty-eight or uh, late twenties. So around twenty-eight, I would think. Yeah, that's not what the professionals are saying. Sorry. Are you calling yourself a professional there? Well, every guest we have on talking about millennials. Yeah, yeah. And but because here's why uh, the Gen Z that we're going to talk about, those are the ones graduating right now. So they're the 17, 18 year olds right now. Right. But I'm I'm you're 34. You're a Gen. You're a Gen Y. You're a millennial. I'm not dependent upon my cell phone. Researchers typically use early 80s as a starting point Mm -hmm. for millennials through the mid 90s to the early 2000s. Okay, what is the source? (laughs) It's Wikipedia. I'm going to find a different one. But yeah. that, that's generally Talk what you amongst find. Yourselves. What, what year? What year were you born? 83. Oh, See, er, there you er, go. Early 80s. 
Talk amongst yourselves. I'm going to find a new okay. source. You find your source. I was born in 77, so I'm just gen, a year out. You're a year or two X, out yeah. of what they consider generation yeah. Yeah. or the I, millennials. So you're a millennial. You're 83. That's not I'm not a baby argument. boomer. I'm a Gen Xer. So today we're going to be talking about Gen Z. What's coming up with these 18 years? Jay Z? Jay Z's different. Oh, okay. Yeah, Generation Z. They're the ones that are younger than Jeff. Uh, they're not. They're non-millennials. And uh, interesting, interesting book. We're going to be talking about Generation Z at work, and uh, and what what they're noticing in this other generation. It's, it, they're very different in a way than the millennials, and uh, they also might be getting back to a little bit more of a norm to what you think. Uh, you know. You know, the millennials kind of took us out on a limb, we think. Now, Jeff's got – he thinks he's got some new data. So uh, Pew Research Poll. Who? Pew. Hmm. Who? Uh, 18 to 32. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So you want to be considered what generation then? X? You're trying to move to X because you're too old for Z. Well, now let me figure out what where I where I you want to fall figure out in. Too. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you're in millennial. The way you talk about TV so much, yeah, Netflix and all that stuff. Hey, um, interesting topic. We'll get to all that fun. Plus, of course, some empty news today. We're, we we've got a lot of headlines we we want to get into because you know. If I told you that you could find a popcorn ball, hmm. just a popcorn ball, yeah. worth $700, wow. would you buy it? Is it flavored at all? Um, it's a really good question. Is it caramel? Chocolate? There's chocolate popcorn balls? It, it doesn't seem to be flavored. Interesting. It's or, just popcorn. It's just a popcorn With ball. With maybe some corn syrup or something to mm-hmm. hold it together. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Oh, it's dyed red, white, mm. and blue. Oof. But it doesn't. So it's probably just, yeah, it's probably corn syrupy, sugary, yum, yeah. yum goodness. Hmm. $700. We'll talk yeah. about well, that. George Masnick of the Harvard Joint Center. The time frame for Gen X, 1965 to 1984. Hmm. Gen X. I just squeezed in there. Why do you hate millennials so? I don't like... Uh, he does. He hates them. He hates them. Listen to it. And it's, in, it's in his voice. The word... I, it just seems like it has a negative connotation. Well, sure. They're lazy. Oh, wait. No, wait. Which, I'm, which I'm not. Ooh, that, that was fighting words. You're not... No, it's... You just don't want to be a millennial. That's kind of rude. No, there's nothing wrong with that. To the millennials. Yeah, it is. Kind of rude. One of us. One. He has one birthday. Yeah, I know. And he just turns into like a diva. Was yeah. that from The Simpsons? Yeah, I know. One of us. Turns into a diva. One of us. Or children of the corn, whichever. We'll get to all that fun. <laughs> Later, too, we're going to talk about the need for sleep. Leanna Tan will do a little tangent on yeah. sleep. I have a need. A need for sleep. For speed. No, sleep. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. You're still wearing your jammies. He needs some sleep. Yeah, and Terry, I, you got to produce this in a way that he can get some sleep. Hmm. Good luck ah, with that. How do we do that? But first, get to the headlines. We'll figure it out later.
What's going on, Terry, around the rest of the country? President Trump urging a vote on the American Health Care Act for Friday after the vote was postponed Thursday due to, a lack, due to a lack of sufficient support to pass it. According to the Washington Post, he delivered an ultimatum. Pass the bill or he'll move on from the repeal and replace cause, leaving Obamacare in place. House Speaker Paul Ryan will call the vote later today after a series of negotiations took place with Trump and his aides Thursday. At this stage, there are still not enough committed votes for the bill to pass, and there are attempts to negotiate with conservatives to back the bill. Republicans came up with a proposed change to the measure on Thursday evening, which would eliminate the law's essential benefits that insurers must offer that insurers must offer under the under the Affordable Care Act. Those include mental health treatment, wellness visits, maternity and newborn care, along with a bunch of other items, but those are probably the most hot-button issues on hand. Yeah. Uh, President Trump apparently tweeted this morning a uh, what some people are, are labeling a threat to uh, Republicans that if they vote against this, that'll you know hurt them in their future election. He told them that in a meeting earlier this week, and that didn't sit well with many of them who still didn't want to vote for the, uh, the bill. And according to, I found this online, you'll have to look at it, Matt, but um, you got New York Times... CBS News, CNN, NBC News, NPR, Washington Post, and some other sources here. All of them are trying to track what are the no votes. And they're all in the 30s, except for CNN has it at 27 no votes. They can give out 22 and still pass it. So anything over 22 is bad. Yeah. And it's still looking bad. No, there's still time. Right, right, right. Because they can hold the vote at midnight if they want to. Yeah. Because they could hold the vote vote tomorrow. (laughs) I mean, there's no real the, – the, the timetable is set by Paul Ryan. Yeah. He can move it. He did it last night, right? Right, exactly. Except maybe the president won't have patience for it anymore. Uh, according to new census data released on Thursday, Chicago is losing more residents than any other metropolitan area in the country. The south and southwest regions of the country saw gains in the data, which uh, tracks changes from July 2015 to July 2016. Dallas and Houston reported the biggest increases in metropolitan areas, adding more than 100,000 residents each. The Chicago area lost more than 19,000 residents in a year's time. Families leaving the city cited crime rate, broken city school systems as the motivations for leaving. Mm. Crime and schools. Crime. Uh, Love Connection. Did you ever watch Love Connection yeah, back did. in the day? Great show. You thought that was quality fun. TV? Fun had by all. Interesting. It's coming back, apparently. Good. Uh, a new version of the matchmaking game show will air on Fox starting Steve May. Steve Harvey, is no. he going to be? May 25th, the show will come out. Uh, One-hour series will amp up the original dating show for today's audience featuring single men and women looking for romance. Its host is Andy Cohen of Bravo. Who? I, who? Yeah. Watch what happens live. I don't know, some show. Uh, who will bring his personal brand of audacious fun wow. to the series, Fox said. This edition revives one of TV's most popular syndicated game shows. The uh, original Love Connection ran between 83 and 94 with Chuck Woolery. Wow, Chuck so, was great. So that was a show full of, uh, you know, for the Gen X people. Oh, sure. 83, 84? Right. Yeah. All right, sure. If that's where you want I've to got some. Yourself. I've got some new information for you, Jeff. Finally. Yeah, let's get to this news first, then I'll help you. How big, when, when you have food, do you like it when there's a, a mm. sauce? Yes. Or some sort of... I like mine saucy. Okay. As long as it's not too creamy. Mm. Like, yeah, you don't want it soupy. Yeah, you want yeah. some some gelatinous to it, I guess. Yeah, uh, <laughs> viscosity. There you go. <laughs> gelatinous sounds gross. What about if you had Big Mac sauce, mm. fish o filet sauce, uh. or the, <laughs> the McChicken sauce? 
from McDonald's. Mm. Apparently, all those sandwiches have their own. We need, t- we need a Tim Allen sound bite here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, they're going to be on sale. You can buy them in the bottle and uh, have them at home on your table to douse whatever food you want with this type of sauce, which usually ends up being some sort of mayo with ketchup or something added to it. Right. Only a few people excited about that. The, uh, the hitch, of course, it's only available in Canada. Really? Yeah. Oh, come on! Yeah. The company said the move is, quote, in part of our continued commitment in giving Canadians more ways to enjoy McDonald's. Boy. Apparently we have sufficient ways to enjoy. Well, what if you could just, just order the sauce? Then you wouldn't even need to eat all the high-fat stuff. You could <laughs> just drink the sauce. <laughs> just go in and get, like, five five helpings? How much? Yeah. That would be so gross. Oh, I think it's really. a mistake. I think it's a mistake because... You know, once we started buying our own J-Dog sauce, mm-hmm. we haven't been back. Mm. We don't need them anymore. You're, you're J-Dogless. We're done. So you just buy your own hot dog and then put J-Dog sauce on it. Exactly. Because yeah. Costco mm-hmm. sells exactly the same hot dogs, and they have hot, those hot dog, giant hot dog-sized right buns. But right now you're destroying an entire enterprise. No. Yeah, you are. You're bringing They're going to be just fine. You're See, bringing it down. And generation uh, millennials it. are more apt to uh, stand up for a cause. So okay. maybe you're not. But what about people that are more interested in uh, saving money? Then you're more of a boomer because you're old and cautious. So I'm I'm ahead of my time or am I behind my well, time? Well, let, let me yeah. actually – let me clarify your time. What year were you born again? 83. 83. Uh, the majority of researchers mm. that research and demographers that research um, millennials, they, they start with the generation in the early 1980s, may end in the generation in the mid-1990s. Price Waterhouse Cooper, your group that destroyed the Oscars, um, in a 2013 report – uh, Price Waterhouse Coopers and Edelman Berland used 1980 to 1995 as the years distinguishing millennials. Hmm. Says who? Gallup. Have you heard of Gallup? Gallup Organization and Eventbrite, Dell Carnegie Training, MSW Research all use 1980 to 1996 to distinguish millennials. Wow. Mm-hmm. Ernst & Young. Another accounting firm. Yeah. They use 1981 to 1996. Wow. Manpower. Uses 1982 to 1996. Deloitte & Touche, I uh, I don't see them on the list. Exactly. Your wife worked there. Um, Listen to this. Others end the generation in the late 1990s, the early 2000s. Goldman Sachs, uh, Time Magazine, they did a story. All used 1980 to 2000. Um, The United States Census Bureau, where you worked. That's true. If I am correct. You were one of those people. The United States Census Bureau uses 1982 mm. to 2000 wow. as the years uh, for um, to delineate millennials. And Pew Research Center, I don't know where you got your data, but mine is on the source of all sources, Wikipedia. Oh. Pew Research Center defines millennials as being born from 1981 onwards. Alternative facts. With no chronological endpoint set yet. Because they would say say the Gen Zs have not been defined yet. Wrong. Mm. Anyway. Wrong. So he's a millennial is what you're trying to say. Jeff's a millennial. So all you've proven is that each one of these have different data. 
No, they, they're, they're they pretty vary. Much, they all pretty much they're start coalescing early around 80s, some set dates here. Yeah. No. And, and either way, the, the way they're they're shifting on the ends, it still doesn't get to yeah. 83. Is that when you no, were born? Yeah. It was 83, so, yeah. Yeah, so oh, it's uh, like you're a, you're a millennial. Uh, now, remember, as we've talked about on the show, just because you were born a millennial doesn't mean you are a millennial. But yeah. in your case. Yeah, you have a much better work ethic than most are. of our producers. So good job. It's robust. We have a very millennial off, uh, yeah. audience today. Hey, um, okay, so back to the popcorn ball. Yes. Police say a 70-pound popcorn ball worth hundreds of dollars, $700 to be exact, was swiped from a suburban um, – oh, hold on, a suburban Cleveland shop. Mm. Who has a $700 that's crazy – popcorn ball just Sitting around. floating around the office? Yeah, you think you put like an armed security guard. It was being auctioned. But uh, apparently the oversized snack dyed red, white, and blue has, was taken from outside the Chagrin Falls popcorn shop. So it was outside. Yeah. Sitting on the sidewalk. Yeah. All right. $700. It was found intact in front of the, sh- of, uh, the shop Wednesday. Somebody dropped it off. It was created for a New Year's, New Year's Eve popcorn ball drop. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's well, like, that makes you know, sense. It's like the There's big a ball. Reason. you got to drop the big ball. And speaking of dropping the ball, Jeff. Um, wow. Yes, finish that thought. I don't have And a look thought. me in the eye when you a, finish that thought. I don't have thought. a thought. Exactly. I like the song choice, though. Um, so, New Year's. It, it, it was to be auctioned off this week. Okay. And proceeds would go toward renovations of a, town, of a town hall. New Year's Eve, popcorn ball drop. Yeah, it's Makes interesting. Sense. So it's but it's three months because sometimes it's late. like we That's have a, a we have a candy shop. We're going to make a massive something. Make, Let's make do a popcorn something ball. Massive. Yeah. Um, it's it's it seems like how long does it take before a popcorn ball goes stale? Well, if it's covered in corn syrup, maybe it's maybe eternity. indefinite. At yeah. that point, it doesn't matter because it's covered in sugar, and you can choke it down somehow anyway. Yeah, <laughs> said the millennial. Said the millennial that'll eat anything. Wrong. <laughs> Um. Okay. Good job. Good job, guys. <laughs> they found the popcorn ball, Jeffrey. Great song choice, by the way. Popcorn popping on the apricot tree. One of my favorite primary church songs. Loved it. Listen, let me just say three facts right now. <laughs> popcorn grows on apricot trees. A. The earth is flat. Two. And... I am a Gen Xer. Lie. We'll be back, folks. We're going to be talking Gen Z, uh, the generation that Jeffrey does not belong to. Nor is he an X. He's a millennial. We'll be back. What's uh, going on with these people graduating right now? What are some of the traits we see coming out of their generation? Stick with us. Interesting stuff up next. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Most often when we talk about the next generation of workers, we refer to them as millennials. But apparently we might be using the wrong term to describe the people who are leaving college and entering the workforce. These people should maybe actually be called Gen Z and have a lot to offer the future. Joining us on the line are David and Jonah Stillman, uh, father and son speaking duo. They're here with us this morning to talk more about their book, Gen Z at Work. 
how the next generation is transforming the workplace, and uh, they're they're here to help us become more informed about Generation Z. David and Jonah Stillman, thank you both for being with us today. Thank you for having us. Good to have you. Now, a father-son duo. Um, now, David, you've written books before, and uh, like on the M Factor, when generations collide, uh, the M Factor, how the millennial generation is rocking the workplace. How did you get up this idea and, I guess, the courage to write a book uh, with Jonah? Well, I, it was interesting because, you, would, as you mentioned in your intro, I saw so many people, and the media doesn't go by where we don't hear daily about millennials, millennials, millennials. And I, you know, having three Gen Z kids myself, as well as continuing to do research in the generations field, saw that no one was talking about this next generation. And I saw we run the risk of treating Gen Z like the millennials, and it'll backfire. And believe it or not, it was Jonah who came to me and who was helping me do some of the research and said, hey, Dad, why don't I help you pioneer this dialogue? I think it would be more authentic if people could learn about who Gen Z is from a Gen Zer, and you could play the role of talking about what it's going to mean to the rest of us. And I thought it was a great idea, and it sparked, and here we are two years later speaking to organizations and a book that came out this week uh, published by HarperCollins that we're really excited about. That's huge. Congratulations to you. And Jonah, Thank congrats you. to you. I mean, you're a 17 year old high school school, high school student and uh, you're already an author. Yeah, I'm very excited. It was a, uh, it was quite the adventure writing the book with my dad. You know, everybody always asks us what it was like writing a book together. And we always say that, you know, it was at first it took a little bit to figure out how we both work best. But once we figured it out, it was a, uh, Nothing but pleasure and such an experience doing it with my dad. This is cool. Now, talk to us, uh, David. Maybe let's start with you. Uh, when we refer to generation, we, we usually call them millennials. Because, but wh- when does Generation Z begin in your mind? And and uh, and talk to us just a bit, a few about some of the traits of the Generation Z. You bet. So. Generation Z is 1995 to 2012. Any generation is usually about 16 to 18 year span. Um, and we saw enough differences in our research in getting to know Gen Z. We did three national studies of people 15 to 22 years old. And it was just, you know, as you mentioned, I had done a book on millennials and the differences were big enough that we knew it was definitely a new generation emerging. Um, and so we started to do this research. And what we uncovered is a big difference is how they were parented. Millennials were parented by baby boomers. Right. And Gen Z was parented by Gen Xers. And not right or wrong, but definitely different, uh, Gen X had a different parenting style that resulted in a different generation. You know, boomers told their kids, if we all pitch in together, we can all be winners. And we ended up with an extremely collaborative generation. Millennials are the most collaborative generation ever. Well, Gen Zers were told by Gen Xers, there's winners, there's losers, <laughs> and more than that, you might lose. And as a result, we've seen less collaboration and more competitiveness. So Gen Z is an extremely competitive generation, and we do anticipate a lot of clashes between collaborative millennials and competitive Gen Zers. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Yeah. And um, do you see that in your own life, Jonah? Do you see more competition? I mean, you yourself are a, uh, you know, a world-class snowboarder, ranked alpine snowboarder, and uh, you've got a lot going on. Do you see that competition? Yeah, absolutely. Across the board, Gen Zers are just so competitive. And like my dad mentioned, that comes straight from our Gen X parents. And what people need to realize is that as we start to enter exit college and enter the workforce, we're going to act differently. 
And like my dad mentioned early on, he said it's not better or worse, it's just different. And as soon as people can notice that competitiveness is something that can benefit them in the workplace, that's when we're going to adapt nicely in that relationship with Gen Zers and the rest of the generations of the workplace is really going to start to show. That's awesome. Is it um, one thing that I did notice, uh, David and Jonah, about millennials is they tend to be they tend to be incredibly empathic of others. They tend to really kind of go go out of their way to, to have empathy and feeling, it seems like, for others. Is that is that something that's going to change with Gen Z? I sure hope not. I would like to think that all the generations can have you know, empathy for each other. And Jonah brought up a really good point. You know, as soon as we stop trying to have this discussion about who's better or worse or either right or wrong, we're just different. Yeah. I think that's where we're going to see the powerful relationship. But I think Gen Z and hopefully all the generations, you know, can be empathetic towards others. I think maybe what you're getting at is what we found with millennials is that they really had a focus on meaning. They wanted to come to work and know that no matter what they were doing, if they're going to spend their time at a job, that they were moving the needle on something, that they're having some impact on society. And so, you know, when I wrote about millennials, it was often meaning, we should say, is the new money. As long as you can show them, you know, this impact that they're having in society and the world at large, you can find a better time recruiting and retaining them. Well, with Gen Z, this is a generation that experienced the recession during their formative years. And as I mentioned, Gen Xers who had a little bit more of a tough love attitude as parents. We now have a generation that sure wants to make a difference, but they put money at the top of their list. They want pay. So we're seeing a generation that says, hey, you know, I got to earn a living first. And as much as I want to make a difference, that's going to come first and foremost. Yeah. Oh no, that's great. Do um do you see this, Jonah? Like, I mean, why why do we need to have these generations? Like, why do we distinguish them um, instead of just assuming everybody's kind of different and unique by their their themselves? Why why and is there value in knowing the difference between a generation? Absolutely. Now we always say that you know it's impossible to clump an entire group of seventy three million young adults together, but. What the risk is, there's a greater risk in not getting to know us in general than ignoring us as a whole. So people always say, well, how do you know that everybody's like that? Well, of course they're not. But as a whole, our studies show we've done three national studies on Generation Z. And what we say is that these generational traits are important to get to know because the risk of ignoring us as a whole is a much greater than getting to know us in general. Yeah. And again, too, it's, you know, there are certain trends that go through every generation and those trends are, they're created by the generation, um, but they're definitely would impact how we parent or don't parent. Um, What are some more trends that you see coming out, Jonah, that, uh, that you see in the Gen Z research? Right. So one, one cool thing, one of my favorite findings that we found in the our first national study is that, you know, everyone across the board, because we live in such a technological dominated world, everyone assumes that Gen Zers only like to communicate through technology. Now, whether that's talking the phone or text messaging across the board, people just naturally assume that's the way we like to communicate. But we uncovered that when given the opportunity, 84% of Gen Zers prefer face-to-face communication. Hmm. Wow. Which is something, yeah, that's shot. That's the, that's the reaction we get across the board. People are shocked to hear that. And the reason that is is because we always see everywhere we go, every time you read the news, everybody's getting called into question. Everybody's questioning this. Is that real? Is that true? So the, the face-to-face communication is the most, uh, most authentic and real communication there is. So we're hungry for that opportunity to feel that in-person connection, whether it's with a peer, a parent, a boss, a coworker. 
we really do want to talk to you in person. Hmm. Do you see anything, David, um, in the research that maybe, as Jonah's talking, that they want more uh, face-to-face communication, that, that Gen Z might be where the generations start turning away from media? And not, not like not using it, but it's almost like Gen Z seems to have mastered it in a way. But they, they're now maybe turning back more toward people relationships. Face to face. Well, it's, it's a great question. I think the difference you have is that, you know, millennials are the digital pioneers. They really right. were the ones who did a brilliant job of bringing technology into the workplace. How do we use apps? Where's the place on Facebook, social media for the workplace? The difference you have with Gen Z is they're digital natives. So to them, the conversation is, oh, are we turning off technology, turning on? It's just always part of their daily life. It's not a either or. One of the traits we talk about in our book uh, is digital. And that is, you know, where the rest of us sort of try to blur the line between physical and digital, they've completely eliminated it. <laughs> so to this generation, the dialogue isn't do we or don't we use technology. It's just there. But I think what we're getting at is we shouldn't just assume it's all technology. Yeah. You, you call it fidgetal, the mix between yeah. physical yeah. and digital. Fidgetal. Yeah. Does it cause fidgeting? Yeah. Because my, <laughs> my kids are fidgeting all over the place. Right, so well, they do have an eight-second attention span. Go ahead, John. Okay. So well, well, the word digital really means is now you, we live in a world where every physical aspect of life has a digital equivalent, if you think about it. So what that means is that Gen Z sees technology not even as second nature. It's just part of who we are. And whether we're loading groceries into the cart at the supermarket or adding to cart on Amazon, it really is all one and the same. That is cool. I mean, it's a different... Man, it's a different age. And, uh, in fact, let's take a break and come back. I want to continue the discussion with David and Jonah Stillman. They're the authors of the book, Generation Z at Work, How the Next Generation is Transforming the Workplace. So much to learn about this generation, including uh, I want to find out how realistic are, are, are these Z-geners more realistic, less realistic? Are they, uh, you know, how do they want the world to fit them? Do they want to adapt to the world, or do they want the world to adapt to them? Interesting insights from a father-son duo helping us understand Generation Z. Up next, stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining me online uh, on the phone are David and Jonah Stillman. They're a father-son duo, and they have co-authored a book, Generation Z at Work, How the Next Generation is Transforming the Workplace. David Stillman is an author of uh, the best-selling books, um, When Generations Collide and the M Factor, How the Millennial Generation is Rocking the Workplace. And then he and his son together, Jonah, they got together and they thought, hey, Let's now go to the next generation, the Z generation, and how better to present it and to learn about it than to do some studies and bring on a true Z gen uh, guy, Jonah. So we welcome both of you back to the show. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. Absolutely. You also had a great article um, about you in Forbes magazine talking about um, your book and, and the impact of the next generation on workers. And in there, you bring up seven key traits of Generation Z. You talked about fidgetal. 
that's the kind of the intersection of where all things physical now have a digital component. Uh, but some other points, and let's just go through these and have you each kind of address them. One of the points is is this customization and hyper-custom. Talk about that, mm-hmm. David. Talk about uh, how the next gen, they're really about hyper-custom. Absolutely. So if you think about um, growing up, it used to be, you know, your goal was already always to try to fit in with the rest. Um, and now here's a generation that from day one, their goal has been, how do I stand out from the crowd? From their Twitter handles to their Instagram posts, Snapchat, you name it, they've always trying to figure out, how can I stand out? They've been building their own personal brands mm-hmm. since they were, they were born. They're, if you think about their consumer experiences, it's been very customized. You know, you go to Amazon, it's like, welcome back, Jonah. Um, they go to Nike.com and they can design their own shoes. So they always have had this intimate understanding and connection around who they are, and they now bring this to the workplace, and they expect this level of customization to play out. 56% of Gen Z would like to write their own job description. Wow. Wow. And and again, to even to think that from my generation – you know, you were lucky to have a job. And the generation above me, when you had a job, you hang on to it. You don't You don't even ask for a raise necessarily. You just be grateful you got one. All the way two or three generations later, they now want to really design their own, their own job description. Right. But I think we've got to be careful because we're going down a slippery path there by saying they want to write their own job description, you know, does not make them entitled and doesn't make no. them feel, oh, you know, you're lucky to have me. A lot of the knock we had on millennials who came, you know, came into workplaces, they came across as, oh, oh, you know, this job's lucky to have me. But with Gen Z, we have found because they came of the recession, they had tough love, Gen X parents, they really do believe, like you just mentioned, I feel lucky to have this job. Mm. Now, they come into it saying, you know, I want to customize it, and we run the risk of accusing them of being entitled, etc. Right. I think, you know, why wouldn't they? And I think it's smart for employers, too. The challenge is that most employers, the way you treat your employees is like, let's be fair. And the way we do that is we treat everyone the same. And I don't think that's going to work in this hyper-custom world, especially as the Gen Z workforce enters. Well, and in a, in a way, that's, I think there's, there's the key to innovation. Because if, if that's how you want to be treated, then all I need you to do is show me results, right? And you show me results, then this is going to work. You don't show me results, this won't work. So uh, right. this, this could be really innovative. Game. Get off the fairness game. That's really. right. Yeah. 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 What's interesting, and tell me how you think about this, Jonah, because when you come in um, with Gen Z mentality or approach, um, you're still going to be dealing with Gen X, uh, with um, baby boomers, with Gen Y. How – I guess in a way, there's going to be a collision, it seems like, if if everybody doesn't – learn to relate to each other right so um this is what's really unique about this is we do have an opportunity to be, to be proactive instead of reactive gen z is uh gonna be entering the workforce for the first time this year the, the first wave of gen zers graduates college this year and the opportunity to get to know us early on instead of being reactive is a really unique chance but at the same time this is a two-way street in no way are we saying that you know everybody's got to adapt to gen z lifestyle and work style and that's that Gen Z equally has to get used to the way that the work world already is. We're not going to be able to have everything we want the way we want it. We're going to have to adapt to some of those, the ways boomers have been working for years and Xers, the, the ways that they've been working. The millennials are going to be our frontline managers, and 
just because they're more collaborative than we are does not mean that it's all of a sudden going to have to be a complete shift to an independent work world. We're going to have to learn how to work in their world, and they're also going to have to work, learn to work with us. Yeah, no, that's true. And, and really, um, again, the neat thing about technology and the digital world is, you know, there's a lot of ways to learn. One of the keys I read also in your work is the fact that uh, there's there's your generation, the Z generation, is kind of um, Jonah the do-it-yourself generation. Absolutely. So we've and that goes right along with technology. We've grown up in a world with apps like YouTube, where I can log on to and learn how to do anything from speak a different language to retile my bathroom floor and. When you can do that, you'd only expect and understand why we under, think we can do anything by ourselves. Yeah. And that is playing out in college as well. Gen Zers really are calling the relevance and importance of higher education into the question. You know, the traditional path has always been to go to college, get a degree, and get a job. However, 75% of Gen Zers say that there's a way of getting a good education other than by going to college at all. We really think that there's ways of doing it ourselves. Wow, that's awesome. I mean, and I see it. I see it with my own kids. I see, you know, they can they can pretty much. I sit at a school where everybody's getting degrees in edi- editing and not degrees in it, but experience and skills in digital editing and and uh, media. And yet, my son learned to do all of that online with right. taking classes online when he was sixteen, fifteen. That's the power of YouTube and the power of being able to do it on yourself. Yeah, yourself. that's powerful. David, talk to us about um, one of the things, too, are the – I think you call it the we economists, um, the, the, this idea that they're used to Uber. They're used to crowd, or crowdfunding, Airbnb. They're used to businesses that are more uh, you know, open to, I guess – Everybody, they're, they're, you know, anybody can become an Uber driver, and it's fairly easy to, to get into it. Tell me what the we economy is going to look like. Absolutely. First of all, we attribute the name we economist to um, Craig Kielberger, who is a dear friend of ours, is a world-known philanthropist who runs the organization We, and we've built on what he's talking about because, I mean, it's been you know a complete society where they can do anything with anyone with a push of a button. And so what we're going to see with Gen Z is they're going to really break down a lot of silos. It's the shared economy. So they're going to be pushed for more efficiency, be more economical, definitely more convenient. And the other thing we're going to see is their role as philanthropists. So this is a generation, I've got to hand it to the millennials, who really figure out a way to incorporate technology, to put an ask out there, to rally people together for a cause. You think of things like the ice bucket challenge and uh, things like that. But Gen Z is going to only continue to do that, and they're going to put a lot of pressure on the workplace you know, to say, how can we come together to make a difference? That's cool. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's exciting. You know, it, there was a lot of negative talk about millennials. And we, even on the show, we try our best to say, yeah, you know what? It don't, it's not, we're not, they're not branded and not everybody fits this mark. Um, but it seems like with the Gen Z talk, there's a lot of hope. There's a lot of excitement and maybe um, some hope. What, what do you see as the difference with there being more hope, Jonah? Yeah, you know, I just think that people are ready for a change. I think there's all this negative talk about millennials. And the, the thing you realize is millennials are not a bad generation. They're no. just different. And that's the whole thing about understanding a generation. And I think people are just excited maybe for a little bit of a new work ethic. We're going to shake up the workplace. We're going to bring a little bit of life to it. And I think that across the board, if people are willing to give us a shot and get to know us, that we really are going to be a powerful generation. 
Yeah. Do you do you worry about? I mean, I know one of the issues that you bring up in the book is about FOMO, um, fear of missing out. Talk about how FOMO is go- impacts your Z Gen. Yeah. So FOMO has impacted us in a lot of different ways. So FOMO stands for fear of missing out, as you mentioned. And that impacts us on our daily lives, school lives, and then eventually it will impact us as we start to enter the workforce. We know that Gen Zers, on average, have an eight-second attention span. Wow. Because we feel we're missing out on something, we're often switching between things so fast. So people always say, you know, oh, I hear you guys are great multitaskers. And, you know, in reality, we're not. We're good task switchers. We can switch from our phone to our iPad to our laptop to the TV, all these different things because we – live in this world where we can know what everyone's doing at any second, we constantly fear that we're missing out, so we switch amongst different things very rapidly. And, Dad, do you want to explain how that's going to play out in the workplace? Absolutely. So how will that play out at work? So now, you know, if you remember with millennials, one thing they really did push for is that they want career paths to move at a faster yeah. pace. Yeah. And they sort of put to bed this whole notion that it has to be about tenure, how long you've been before you get promoted. And that's only going to continue so while Gen Z will put their attention on moving things faster, as Jonah said, because they fear they're missing out, they're going to look for places of employment where they can have multiple roles going on at the same time. 75% of Gen Z said, I'd be interested in a place of employment where I can have multiple roles. They'll see no reason why I can't be in marketing two days a week and maybe product development the other few days a week. Mm. And this is an area where I think small to medium businesses are going to have a leg up with Gen Z. Why? Because of those places of employment, you often hear, you get to wear a lot of hats around here. And so whether or not it's an actual, you know, multiple roles, you'll at least be exposed to a lot of different things compared to maybe in some of the larger organizations that tend to be a lot more specific and even siloed. Mm. Do, you think, do you think Gen Z will be more entrepreneurial? I definitely yes, do. Um, Tony, do you want to take that? Yeah, sure. So we know, actually, in, in our first national study that we uncovered that 17% of Gen Zers want to start their own business compared to 11% of millennials. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, and part of the reason that is, and I can explain that, is starting a business to Gen Zers does not feel like a big deal anymore. The barrier to entry has become so easy. If you think about it, if I want to start my own business within, within under a week, I can file for an LLC, design a custom logo, have business cards, have a 1-800 number that forwards to my cell phone, and just like that, I'm an up-and-running business. Yeah. Done. Done. And and it's and it already see it's all in your wheelhouse. It seems like already it's already right. there. Yeah, that's the it. DIY, we, can, we like to do it ourselves. We like the ability to start our own business, and because it feels so easy, we see no re- no reason why we shouldn't. And that doesn't even mean that we're not going to have another job at the same time. There's a whole notion of something called a side hustle. So yeah. the side hustle is where Gen Z goes to their full time job, and at the same time, we've got our own thing going on the side. Now. We may work at this big, huge corporation, and then after that, we've got our own little thing where we're making custom bracelets or custom necklaces, and that right there is our side hustle. That's cool. Man, it sounds like you've already got a side hustle, Jonah. You're going to school, and you're, you're uh, starting your own business here. Absolutely. It's cool. That's good stuff. Well, guys, we appreciate your insight. I think this is uh, – I think it's super cool, and I, I really just honor both of you. To be able to do this together as a father and son duo, that's got to be fulfilling. Uh, again, the names David and Jonah Stillman. You're going to – I think we've just tasted Jonah. It, it just got a taste of him, and I have a feeling – He's got a big future ahead of him. The book, again, is called Generation Z at Work, How the Next Generation is Transforming the Workplace by David and Jonah Stillman. And again, 
again, sounds like there's a lot of hope with the Z generation as well. We'll take a break, my friends. When we come back, continue the learning. And we're going to be talking about a need for sleep with Leanna Tan. Up next, stick with us. The National Sleep Foundation recommends 8 to 10 hours of sleep per night for kids in their early teens, 7 to 9 hours of sleep for adults. In the U.S., 40% of adults get less than the recommended amount of sleep. With that in mind, you are probably tired and could use more sleep. Producer Leanna Tan shares some odd ways people have found to fall asleep. I know, I know, you didn't do what I told you to. You haven't caught up on that lost hour of sleep from daylight saving yet, have you? And you're probably tired from lack of sleep right this minute. Now, spring break is coming up for a lot of you. And you'll be partying and staying up all week. So now your sleep schedule is going to get even more messed up. 24-hour drive-through. Ah, yeah. But don't worry. I've got you covered. I've been searching all day for the best tips so you can catch some Z's and come back from your break well-rested and ready to go. What? Hold down your right nostril. Ouch! I'm not lying. You're supposed to hold it down and then breathe slowly through your left nostril. I feel pretty ridiculous. Crazy as it sounds, mirror.co.uk says this yoga method is thought to reduce blood pressure and calm you. Some sleep therapists even say lying on your left side while you do it helps. Be careful not to hold down both nostrils. That might send you into a sleep you might never wake up from. Take a cold bath. WonderHowTo.com says that lowering your body temperature can help you fall asleep faster. Just in case that sounds as unpleasant to you as it does to me, I kept looking and found that Lifehack.org suggests taking a warm bath before bed and cooling your room because raising your temperature and then cooling it in a low temperature room helps you fall asleep faster. That sounds a little more doable to me. Stick your feet in the air. Yep, you heard it. The mystery to why you always somehow ended up sleeping with your body half off the bed and your legs sticking up in the air as a kid? It's solved. Wellnessmama.com says that putting your feet up before bed helps recirculate the blood that goes to your ankles during the day when you're doing all that sitting and standing. It says to put up your feet for 15 to 30 minutes a night, either by lying on the ground and resting your feet on a couch or chair at a 90-degree angle or lying on your bed and resting them on the wall. Scent your bedroom with lavender. Now this sounds pleasant. Did somebody spill a bottle of Febreze in here? According to Huffington Post, the aroma of lavender relaxes your nerves and lowers your blood pressure. And a 2005 study at Westland University found that people who sniffed lavender oil for two minutes at three 10-minute intervals before bedtime increased their amount of deep sleep and felt more vigorous in the morning. Hey, I'd take that over a cold bath any day. Bye! Drink catnip. That thing that makes your cat go crazy? I thought it was a joke, too. But people really do this. EverydayRoots.com says catnip is a member of the mint family, and although it tends to make cats go wild, it has the opposite sedative effect on humans. So, just reach inside that kennel, grab that stuffed mouse filled with catnip, and dump a little in a cup with eight ounces of water and a bit of honey for taste, and you'll be sleeping like a baby. But first, ask your doctor if catnip is right for you. Okay, there you go. Now you come back from spring break and be able to get back on track. No matter how bad your jet lag is or how lingering the effects of daylight saving might be, now you'll be able to fall asleep 
right at your bedtime no matter where you are. Well, happy sleeping, everyone. I'm Leanna Tan, and that's my little tangent. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, of the Matt Townsend Show. It is Friday, and Friday means it's the day of movies. So we will be talking movies later in this hour. Our very own movie, um, our very own millennial movie man. Hmm. Jeffrey Lamond Simmons. Now, so aren't <laughs> we aren't we all about uh, being inclusive and allowing people to come up with their own identity? I no. I identify no. as a Gen X. No, we're about pointing and telling you who no. you are. This is who you are. You're a millennial. You're a millennial movie man. Well, that's and ageist. It's different because Matt is a doctor. I'm a doctor. So he's coming from an educated point of mm-hmm. view as he tells you what to do. And I looked it up on Wikipedia. You're yeah, both a so. couple of ageists. I just want to say that. Yes, we are. We got a bunch of real dummies. <laughs> Even Donald's mad at us. Yeah. Donald's mad at a lot of people this yeah, morning. Don's having a hard day. Um, we've, we'll get to all of that fun. We'll talk um, politics uh, as we do a little, I'm sure, news update. Terry yeah. will talk a little bit about Donald's uh, President Trump's goal of getting this legislation passed on Trump Care, which not. he's not calling it. I'm trimming it down because we've. I think most people get the gist, but there's some fun stuff coming up too. So don't yeah. worry about that. Hey, and also check your garage because um, apparently there's some sneaky alligators out there hiding. Well, if you're in a part of a con- part of the country that has that sort of an issue. Yeah, so you're not. You're saying like it wouldn't be in the Rocky Mountains. No. You may have like an elk in your house. You could have a more, bear. Yeah. 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 So we'll talk about a sneaky alligator hiding out in a garage. Or the herd of deer that hang out around the, the building we're in right now. Yeah. That's kind of fun. What would you do if your name was actually Alexa? Okay. Or Siri? Huh. I know a Siri. Right. And now her name's kind of been ruined hmm. by Siri. Right. And then there's um, Syria. Hmm. Serial. They've been ruined by other things, mainly bombs. <laughs> Syria's got bigger problems than Siri. So we'll get to all that fun, plus our good friends from BYU Sports Nation. They'll be joining us as they get ready for their show at the top of the hour. There's a BYU Pro Day today. Yes. So players will be Meet the pro. running around in shorts and T-shirts working out for NFL people. Yeah. I think it'd you, be fun to go. You talked about that yesterday a little yeah, bit, Yeah, we right? did. Yeah. Was that, were they saying it was today? Yep. Okay, because I know it's uh, pro day. another school in this region had one yesterday. How'd it turn out? One of the players, they, they do uh, at the NFL Combine for the, high, the college football players coming out, graduating, going on to the, the professional league, they do a bench press test. So at 225 pounds, and you see how many reps you can do, right? And I can do about 15, I think. Wow, yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the top NFL uh, draft prospect did about 33 from the, the com- university. Of- well, he was at the combine. Oh, at the combine. This was a couple yeah, weeks ago. 33, yeah. He did 33. A guy from the university of Utah yesterday did 38. Wow. Named Hunter Dimmick. Oh, I, yeah. Hunter's- I have a video saved. I'm going to go watch a guy do 38 bench presses. That's bad to the bone. It's a heavy weight to move yeah. that much. That reminds me of me the other day. No, out. I really don't think so. I did. Um, I did like 50. Ooh. Curls. Yeah. 
Yeah. But like 15 pounds, right? Uh, 10. Uh, 10, okay. Yeah. There's a guy. There's a video of a guy on the NFL Network, former NFL player. He did 45. Wow. In a dress shirt and a suit. Did he really? Yeah. He was in like suit pants, dress shirt, and just. He was just there to just embarrass people. Yeah, he just did 45. It was yeah, great. It's the way you do it. So that'll be coming up for them. And then the BYU has their first scrimmage. This weekend. Uh, tomorrow. Yeah, Saturday. Tomorrow. Yeah. It's Friday. Yeah, it's Friday. See, Woo-hoo! all kinds of good news. Plus, Jeff's going to be um, reviewing uh, with with our parent previews favorite, Rod Gustafson, I think one of your favorite movies of all time. <laughs> All time. A millennial See, favorite. This is another this is millennial favorite. This is another alternative fact. Pardon? Go, go, Power Rangers. Not one of my favorite shows. You just sang the song. Who doesn't know that song? Me. You knew it. I didn't know it. You were humming it and harmonizing no. in your head. And, no. and one question we could ask, Rod. Yeah. I, I put a little note there. Variety. Reported yesterday, there are five other movies ready to go. Five There's other a six Power movie Ranger. arc for the Power Ranger story. Wow. So this movie, it doesn't really matter if it's successful or not. There's five more movies ready to go. Does this movie deserve an arc? I don't know. That's what we'll need to ask. Is there enough depth there to... Yeah. Uh, well, you know. I think if... if I, I honestly See, think if Jeff's, Jeffrey keeps singing like that... He's pretty excited for this. So they'll need the arc. He can't wait to go watch his Power Zords and yeah, all he those loves. things. I can't tell you how excited I am to not go see this movie. <laughs> hey, what color Power Ranger would you be? The pink one. You'd go pink. He's more of a pink ranger. I like okay. the blue. You go. I'd go green for sure. There you go. No, I, I like would, red. I would do red, but mainly just because that's my favorite color. Yep. Is it? Mm-hmm. Well, that's helpful. Wow. They say that Gen X choose red. Yep. And, yep. And not weird. Even you, the millennial, chose it. That's strange. So apparently you, any generation can choose it. Yeah. Interesting stuff, folks. Straight ahead. But first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? So the big news of the day is they're trying to pass this health care bill for a second day. Um, it's not looking good as of right now when you look at vote totals, but we have the rest of the day to just follow this just just rapt attention here. President Trump's been tweeting, kind of going after oh, the boy. Freedom Caucus for gumming up the works. Yeah, he's not li- he's not taking this lightly. So he's not he's not too happy. Apparently, there will not be a score from the Congressional Budget Office on the newest version of this health care bill, which they altered last night. So they'll vote on something they won't know what the effect of it is. They altered it on Monday, and the effect of that one changed from the first version of the bill. So this is like the third or fourth version. Uh, They reduced – originally there was a $337 billion savings because they're cutting some Medicaid benefits across the nation. Well, now they've backed that off to only $150 billion. Oh, good. Right? But it still leaves 24 million people uninsured – in a certain yeah, time but, period. but just because this is a three-step process, so right. this is just the first and one and a half step, right? Yeah. And there's some thought that they're trying to just whittle this thing down so they can get it through the House. Yeah. But once it gets to the Senate, then they can make all the changes and fix it. Then they'll fix it. They'll fix it in the Senate. But the Senate is saying in its current form, we're not going to vote for this. Baby steps to the House. So it's, it's baby all the steps best. to the Senate. And the New York Times has a piece today talking about in public, President Trump is having a great time, a great time pretending to drive big rigs and wear pins and uh, that read I heart trucks. Did you see him yesterday in the big rig? He's 
Yeah. yeah he's, pulling, he's, pulling he's playing the horn, the horn and everything. He was meeting with a bunch of uh, trucking he's companies. A good time, he's yeah. meeting with trucking companies. But what they're saying is he's having a hard time. He's regretting throwing his support behind House Speaker Paul Ryan's health care plan. The New York Times reports four people close to the president told the Times he now wishes that he had pushed through tax cuts first, which would have pleased Republicans rather than focus on the deeply unpopular health care overhaul. Steve Bannon and Trump's uh, chief strategist Gary Cohn, the director of the National Economic Council, are both in agreement with him. They should have done taxes first. Yeah. But, you know, regrets. What are you going to do? Why didn't we do the taxes? Millions of Americans are escaping debt through the sweet release of death. Wow. Credit.com reports 73% of American consumers were in debt when they died. The average amount of of debt held at the time of death was $61,000, though it was only $12,000 when mortgage debt was taken away. Huh. Yeah, so kind of interesting. Outside of home loans, the highest average debt at death was student loans with an average outstanding balance of $25,000. Wow. The most common types of debt at death, credit cards, 68%, mortgage loans, 37 auto loans, 25 personal loans, 12 and student loans at 6 Man, I'm so excited to die. <laughs> Why, Mommy? So I can be out of debt. So I can pass the debt on to <laughs> you, my children. That's crazy. <sighs> and finally... Yes. Only organic peanut butter and jelly and crustless white bread will do for the Portland Trailblazers. Really? For the Milwaukee Bucks, the elaborate locker room buffet offers three types of bread paired with crunchy, smooth, and almond peanut butters. Oh, yes. Assorted jellies and other fixings. I want to play for the Bucks. The Cleveland Cavaliers like to send prepackaged uncrustables to opposing teams while they feast on artisanal versions of fancy jam with fancy jams. This is all in a ESPN the magazine report about how the NBA is in love with peanut butter and jelly. Well, it's the perfect. That That's is not, crunchy. Oh, that is crunchy. That is there. some crunchy peanut butter. It says, although delivery methods differ, the NBA appears crazy for PB&J, the little-known pregame and sometimes halftime and postgame snacks. The, the ritual traces back to the roots in Boston during the 07-08 season when the Celtics, one Celtics player confessed for a craving. He goes, man, I could go for a PB&J right now. He got his snack, as did Kevin Garnett, who was on the team at the time. And it went, and they uh, the game went well. They won the they won the NBA title that year. And so uh, Kevin Garnett looked at the trainers and said, "We're going to need some PB and J in here every single game." Do you think? Right? Do they make them? Do they have to make their own? Well, it depends on the team. Some of the uh, team uh, staff will make like twenty of them. And then they put like, you know, they label them like this kind of jelly, like grape or strawberry, yeah, yeah. Or whatever. And then uh, other teams have the rookies do it. <laughs> like they're on the plane and they're in the back of the plane making PB&J sandwiches. I don't know that so I'd want to eat a sandwich made by a rookie. Can I ask a question? Was that Tom Brady who had that giant uh, coat? Yeah. So I have a theory. Okay. Maybe that wasn't a giant coat. Maybe he had a peanut allergy, a severe peanut Maybe allergy. Maybe he was swollen. Good, good point. Now it spread to other teams because you know free agency and team you know players will leave a team and that Celtics team disbanded all parts of the country. Even the coach went from the Celtics to the to the Clippers in, in Los yeah. Angeles, and they all took this tradition with them. And so it's all over the now league. Everybody's now everybody's into it. It says there's science, not just hunger behind that. This hankering for PB and J with his first bite, the tasty combination of fats and sugars unleashes chemicals that produce effects similar to. Uh, well, it's releasing a happiness hormone, serotonin and endorphins that reduce stress. That's Cheetos. what happens, right? Cheetos do the exact same thing for me. It adds up to a, a perfect fix before a big game, packing 500 calories, 50 grams of carbs, 20 grams of fat. A PB&J oh, sandwich yeah. is not the best, 
but a nutritionist says, eh, it's not bad. I ha- I start every day with PB, no J, just no peanut J. butter. Just peanut butter. On toast. Yeah. Wow. Every day. Crunchy, creamy, creamy, or just peanuts? Creamy. And sometimes I make my own by just eating peanuts and you know, mixing it into a paste in my mouth. And then uh, your living room looks like a uh, baseball stadium afterwards. It does. With all the shells. <laughs> I have to shuck my peanuts. So, yeah, the NBA in that's, love with peanut oh, butter jelly. That's great. I'm going to ask the guys at BYU Sports Nation about that because that's – I want to know what they do as their pregame ritual. Do they eat PB&J or do they just, you know, probably donuts? Yesterday they ate our donuts. Right. Yeah, they came swarming in here is probably yeah. a good way to describe it. Yeah. Like didn't even look up. They it was even. all on – no eye contact. It was just yeah. all on the right box. Right to the donuts. And uh, they grabbed one. They said – you said, oh, it's Jeff's birthday. They like put a thumbs up while they were still having their face buried in the yeah. donuts. They didn't even look at you. And then they immediately left. And they so didn't rude. spank you, mm. which I well, found that, weird. I'm, I'm grateful for that. Wouldn't it be weird if they did? <laughs> That's crazy. Right. Uh, okay, interesting. Holy cow! I don't even, you know, I don't, I don't know where to go after all that news. Peanut butter jelly. Oh, people, I... people. I love that line though. Millions of Americans are escaping debt through the sweet release of death. It's a great <laughs> line. I like that. Mama's got to die so she can get out of her student loans. Um, Sneaky alligator hides out in a garage. Folks, be careful. If you live in Florida or probably Louisiana. Mm. The south around the water. In the south. um, Near the water, of course. A man stumbled across quite a surprise in his garage Wednesday morning. Hank Stout said he went out into the garage uh, uh, to look in a box and noticed what he thought was a realistic-looking alligator. Hmm. Like he thought in his head, hey (laughs) – there's a realistic-looking alligator. That looks real. Somebody stuffed an alligator. It turned out it was a realistic-looking alligator because it was a real alligator. Wow. Just adds to the story. Stout said at first he thought someone put a fake gator in his garage. You know, it was a prank. Hmm. And he almost decided to reach out and touch it. Hmm. Good thought, Frank. Way to hold back. He's glad he didn't. The gator started hissing at him. Oops. Was that a hiss or a power drill? That sounded like a power <laughs> drill to me. Is the gator using his drill? Uh, the gator started hissing at him. Stout said he quickly realized the six-foot-long reptile was no fake. He called 911. Wildlife trappers soon responded to wrangle the gator. Wow. The experts said it's likely that the gator was looking for a hiding spot. Yeah, when trying to travel from one body of water to another body of water. The staff and management of BYU Radio do not condone the housing and boarding of alligators or any other illegally acquired reptiles in any private domicile. Good to know. It's a very important point. Uh, take care of your take care of your uh, gators. Right. Uh, trappers said that the gators tend to be on the move during mating season. Mm. Oh boy! Right. That's an angry, lonely <laughs> gator. Wow. You know that's the worst gator you can have. Not only is he, you know, he's commuting, he's <laughs> moving. Yeah. But he's also he's he's it's mating season. Right. The staff and management of BYU Radio do not condone. Sorry, I played that one. Oh, and wow. by the way, he's also he's also alone. Yeah. So it's but, not good. No. That might that might lead to some anger. I am that a was relation- the mating call. That was the mating call? I'm oh. a relationship expert. That is a lonely gator. Stout said he thinks the gator might have walked into his uh, walked into the garage door Tuesday night when he took his son to Boy Scouts meeting. Hmm. 
because he forgot to close the door. Wow. He said he won't make that mistake again. No, shut that door. Boy. Yesterday at That's the... That's scary. Uh, it was either yesterday or sometime this week, the Miami Open. It's a tennis tournament. Yeah. They had iguanas walking down the walls. They had to go get... And they're like four feet no, long. No, iguanas can be big. It's crazy. And they're just chasing them out of the tennis I'd stadium. I'd rather chase an iguana, though. Yeah. Then a... They seemed happy. Now, would you rather fight 10... Uh, duck-sized iguanas iguanas. or one iguana-sized duck. What? Huh? Duck-sized iguanas. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I'm just going to do what what, uh, nominee Gorsuch said. Um, I've heard a lot of things. What did he say? He said, uh, I'm rare to be at a loss for words. Yeah. But I am right now. Do, do you want to inquire of Sports Nation about the, the duck horse yeah, that's controversy? Great. Yeah, yeah. Right, let's, I'll, I'm gonna, I'll ask them that too. I want to dodge that question. Good job. Good dodge. I want to you never do that again. That didn't make sense. It did if you don't have good English. If your English is not good. If you don't speak to bad English. Great stuff, folks. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Jeffrey will be diving in to his favorite movie of the year, The Little uh, Power Rangers. Up next, stick with us. Wrong. Welcome back to the program. It is one of my favorite times of the program. On each Friday, we celebrate this time that we have with Rod Gustafson from ParentPreviews.com. He's a film critic specializing in reviewing movies and media from a parent perspective. And once again, we are so glad to have you here on the program, Rod. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. From sunny downtown Calgary, Alberta, here I am. Well, the music suggests otherwise. Maybe uh, Southern California? <laughs> I know. I, I was trying to think, how could I work in one of those cheesy kind of announcer voiceovers? You well, know, something about most families, when they head to the movies, are expecting to have a good time. But for little Sammy, that may not be the case this weekend. <laughs> that's okay. We, we get plenty of cheese from Dr. Matt Townsend, so that's just fine. <laughs> that's right. So uh, Matt did a little teasing uh, before he did the tease for this next segment because he he implied that I was a fan of the Power Rangers, which is definitely not true. And I'm curious to know if you are a fan of this new Power Rangers movie. Um, well, okay, so let me begin with when you say you're not a fan of the Power Rangers, I'm assuming you're talking... Uh, when the television show was was the was the most talked about thing on TV for a little while back in the 1990s, no, um, that's when my kids, my first couple of kids, were quite young, and no, I I couldn't even get through a whole episode. And if you're talking about the movie, well, yeah, what a surprise! I, I feel the same way. If that, in fact, maybe even a little more negative about the movie than I did about the TV show. Wow, really? Yeah. Well, you know. Here we have again where there's a few problems with bringing with bringing television to uh, to the big screen. The first problem is 
television episodes, I mean, you've got scripts and concepts that are set up to work for 22 minutes because by the time you take out the commercials and everything, that's what you have in a half-hour television show. And now we want to turn it into, in this case, 125 minutes. And that's always a stretch. And with the Power Rangers, there wasn't a whole lot to work with in the first place, (laughs) even when you look at the original television show. And, you know, I've watched them do this with so many, uh, it's so many uh, episodic uh, television programs where they try and turn them into movies and they, they rarely, rarely work. And then the next problem that we have is the unfortunate need to inject a lot more uh, violence into the concept. And then the Power Rangers, this is the part that really surprised me, Jeff, was there is a lot of, you know, little sexual remarks, sexual innuendo jokes and that type of thing going on in here as well. And uh, no, this really was not necessary to do this. So, I, you know, parents, I was sitting in a theater that was full of, you know, six and eight year old boys. And you could tell that some of these awkward moments, you know, people are laughing because I don't think they know what else to do in a movie theater. And I'm, I'm just groaning and thinking, hey, you know, I, I really wouldn't want my kids to be here watching this. Yeah. And it's interesting that they would feel the need to put all that in there, considering this is a kid's show that was on. I can't remember if it was Saturday, uh, Saturday afternoons or if it was. Uh, or Saturday morning, or if it was just uh, weekday afternoons. Yeah, week weekday afternoons. Yeah. I remember there being a period of time where every time it turned on the TV, these guys in spandex were fighting it out. And, you know, you look back, okay, now I have not looked at, at an old Power Rangers show for a long time, but I, I do remember it reasonably clearly. And, yeah, there was a lot of fighting, and a lot of parents were concerned. And I know there were even news reports of, you know, you get two kids, one kid punches the other one out or something on the playground because they saw the moves on the Power Rangers. And those were legitimate concerns. But the fighting was, was uh, there was a lot of kind of martial arts mixed in with uh, uh, Zumba, <laughs> ballet, whatever <laughs> you wanted to call it. And and the monsters, they were often fighting these monsters and weird looking things because they didn't have a whole lot of money to to create special effects for the television show. Um, it was a Japanese concept originally. So, you know, even though there were concerns there about violence, it wasn't really um, it, it, it wasn't like the violence we would see, for instance, some of the stuff going on in this movie. Well, Rod, I, I'm sorry you didn't like the film, but I have some great news for you. Uh, they're going to make five more of them. Uh, I know. They are really <laughs> hoping to have a major franchise here with the Power Rangers. And, um, you know, it'll be interesting seeing how it does. I mean, Beauty and the Beast right now is just mowing down everything. And uh, I don't know. Um, at the same time, I think there's this is my concern I think there's going to be a lot of uh, younger boys, especially, and younger girls. It won't just be the boys who are probably going to be interested in the Power Rangers. But I think the boys especially are going to say, I don't want to go see Beauty and the Beast. Take me to the Power Rangers. So I can still see this movie doing quite well. And as there's a split between the genders going into the two theaters. And especially, too, because the other offerings for this weekend, are they're all rated R movies. Yeah, yeah, they are. And again, one of them, another one that we have is another uh, television uh, series turned movie, and that's Chips. And 
okay, so here is my, uh, if, when I first got into the broadcast industry, I was 15 years old. It was in high school. I got hired at the local television station to do something called master control. Doesn't that sound impressive? <laughs> and I'm the guy, this 15 year old guy who's in charge. You're running, you're basically running the television station in the evening. And so one of the shows I had to run was chips. And uh, so I remember watching many, many episodes of chips and it was kind of one of these benign, you know, the two motorcycle cops that are driving around on Los Angeles freeways and lots of shots of palm trees and whatnot. And, and, uh, it, you know, it was kind of your typical seventies cop show. And in fact, probably less violent than some other seventies cop shows, but now out in theaters, it's rated R and again, we scratch our head and think, just like Power Rangers, by the way, I should mention is PG-13. Why couldn't it have been PG? Why couldn't Chips have been even PG, if, if not even at least PG-13? But they turned it into an R-rated film. And if you've watched the, uh, the trailers for this, you can tell that there's a lot of uh, you know, sexual content and that type of thing in this. And a lot of, um, uh, there's some brief explicit violence in it and a lot of other what we call non-graphic violence. So this is really a, you know, a violence and, and sex kind of uh, pumped up version of Chips. And again, and I understand it. Like when you watch the trailers, you can tell they're making fun of chips, which is a great thing to do because there was a lot to make fun of there. And uh, but we can do that without, you know, having to take it into an R rating. I think that's really unfortunate. So yeah, that's one of your other choices this weekend. Yeah, and I think you nailed it too. I think these filmmakers realize that the premises premises for these movies are so ridiculous that they kind of lend themselves to parody. You know, that we're going to, in a yes. few months here, we're going to be seeing the Baywatch movie, which is also rated yes. R, which isn't too surprising, but that's rated R. Um, and then more recently, we had the 221 Jump Street films, mm -hmm. which, in my opinion, were done very well. Um, and then even going back to the 90s, you've got the the Brady Bunch movies and the Adams Family movies. So these movies based on TV shows that maybe people weren't demanding for them to be turned into movies, but the premises were just silly enough that they lended themselves to parody. Yes, exactly. And, and I think that you know, it's a fine line because some of us. So let's take the Brady Bunch, for instance, because I, I, the Brady Bunch movie is starting to become a faded memory for me. But there was there was definitely they brought more sexual content and that type of thing. Sexual innuendo. It was PG-13. It was not R. Um, I think it was PG-13. It yeah, definitely yeah, it was, was not R. Yeah. And, you know, I, I met a few parents at that time who said, you know, it was funny because we remember looking at those things. But then they said to me, they said, but one of the things I really liked about the Brady Bunch, it, it was a wholesome television show that and, and many of these parents, parents had bought the old series on DVD. And I remember one parent in particular, she's saying to me, I liked how innocent the show was, and I don't mind that they want to poke some fun of it at it in the movie, but why did they have to take the innocence away? And I think a lot of parents were still kind of hoping for a Brady Bunch experience, maybe, you know, a little bit funnier, and but still they were sad to see that go. And I think they make a mistake sometimes in Hollywood, always expecting that, you know, we want to sexualize and, and add, in the case of chips, over 200 profanities and chips. 
you know, wow. why, why we have to add all of that into these television shows that we once enjoyed just fine without that in there. Exactly. You know, I, uh, we recently watched a few episodes of the of the updated version of Full House, which is called Fuller House. Mm-hmm. And even on that show, I felt like there was a lot of innuendo. And I don't remember any of that from the original show when I watched that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And and first of all, I'm surprised audiences haven't burned out on that yet. But the other thing I wonder, Jeff, <laughs> I think that there is a... There is an audience out there that is really waiting for uh, television programming and movies as well. But we get, in some ways, I feel like we almost get more movies that fit this audience. But an audience that's looking for it to be entertained without all of that, you know, whether it's the sexual innuendo or the profanities and the graphic violence. And I think there's huge money to be made in those areas. But the creators seem to feel like they are constantly pushing the studios. I I don't think it's the executives that have a problem with this because if the executives can make money off of a, off of Bambi, they're happy to do, you know, G rated programming if it's going to make money, but it's the creative groups that seem to always be pushing the limit and pushing the envelope of what they want to do in the areas of sexual content, profanity, violence. Well, Rod, thank you so much for your insight. Uh, the film this weekend to see, or not see, apparently, is the Power Rangers movie. And if you feel the desire to uh, to revisit some of the shows that you grew up with and enjoyed, maybe don't go see the updated versions that are being turned into films, but just go back and watch the originals, because in the end, those are always going to be so much better. Anyway, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we are going to be talking a little bit about cleansing the palate. And I'm interested to see how Matt, Dr. Matt, does that when it comes to watching TV and movies. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll revisit that topic. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to class up the show a little bit here now. Not that it wasn't classy before, but uh, Matt, I'm I'm curious to know when you are eating your food yes. and you want to notice the subtle differences in the different portions of food. What are some things that you do to cleanse the palate? Are there certain foods that you like to use that are the in between foods? Grey poupon. Grey poupon. Yes. Do you have any, by the way? No. Oh, pardon me. Uh Grey Poupon? I like I like uh I like to cleanse the palate with a little um in between my sushi. Ah. One might use ginger. Ginger. I hate it. Okay. Others use it. I I know you can use crackers. Mm. Uh sherbet, although sherbet, I, yeah. I've always said sherbet. I'm one of those. I'm stubborn when yeah. it comes to my vocabulary. Sherbert. Yeah. Sherbert. I'll do whatever you got to do, Sherbert. <laughs> yeah. So there are different things that yeah. we do so yeah. that we can appreciate the differences in the foods that we eat. Mm-hmm. Now, I've been noticing a little bit of a uh, a problem that I've been having with my TV and movie viewing. What? Every once in a while, I will see a movie that is uplifting and makes me feel good about myself. Yeah. Edifying. And... The message that I tell myself after I watch these is, 
That felt really good. Why why do I keep going back to these really heavy TV shows that are really intense, maybe even a little violent? Why am I not spending more time with these shows that make me feel good and perhaps cleanse the palate a little yes. bit? Yes. So I was hoping today that I could share some TV shows, five TV shows, that can help you cleanse the palate or perhaps find balance and harmony in your TV viewing experience. It is about time. Let's do it. Okay. So, uh, some of the shows that I watch, I just want to, in full disclosure, I enjoy shows like Fargo and Better Call Saul, and I've been watching this one on FX called Legion. The problem with these, maybe minus Better Call Saul, is they're a little violent, pretty heavy, intense. Yeah. And uh, so I wanted to give you some that are not violent, not intense, more lighthearted, uplifting. Yes. Okay. So the first one is actually one that I've never seen. What? <laughs> so which is interesting because it's on my list. <laughs> Number five is a little show called Pushing Daisies. Have you ever heard of it? No. Lasted two short seasons. It's a colorful show about true love and pie making Mm. with a huge twist. The love struck pair can never touch. Really? So Ned, who's played by Lee Pace, has a gift. He can bring people back from the dead with one touch. However, if he keeps them alive for more than one minute, someone else has to die to balance the scales. Now, this sounds... Kind yeah. of dark and twisted and heavy. But apparently it's very colorful. It's very Tim Burton-esque. Okay. And it's sweet and heartwarming, apparently. So after watching uh, Walking Dead, you might then cleanse the palate yes. with the pushing daisies. Yes. And if you want to find it, it's on. you can stream it for free on CW Seed. Wow. Never heard and of it. And if you don't know what that is, go ahead and look it up. CW Seed. Number okay. four is one we just discovered called Speechless. Are you a fan of Mini Driver? I like Mini Driver. Mini Driver is the lead in this show about a family who has their oldest son has CP. And so they're very passionate about him and, and making sure that he goes to the right schools and gets all the, the good help and tutors and everything yeah. that he needs. And yet they're also kind of a Malcolm in the Middle family. And uh, what I say uh, by that is they're just they're lazy. Yeah. They uh, they want to do things their way, and they don't care what anybody else thinks about them. That's great. That's great. Okay. Yeah. Speechless. But it's, it's actually very heartwarming. And uh, who doesn't gotta, love Mini Driver? Who doesn't? Who so doesn't? If you want to watch that, you can find it on That's ABC okay. uh, or Hulu. Okay. Number three, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Love it. Yeah. On Netflix, yeah. a Netflix original from yeah. creator Tina Fey. And it's about a woman who has been in a bunker for the last 15 years uh, yeah. by this man, basically kidnapped and, and kept there like by this cult. this cult leader, yeah. Richard Wayne, Gary Wayne, who is John Wayne from, uh, or John Hamm from Mad Men. <laughs> and what's great about this show is just Kimmy Schmidt, the character Kimmy Schmidt, is just one of the most optimistic, happy yeah. And she's just so kind. In New York, right? In, in New York. Yeah. So trying it's to a make great, it there. Great juxta- juxtaposition. And, Love uh, that show. And one of the best theme songs ever, too. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. We won't play that because there's one coming up that's even better. Even better. Number two. Oh, by the way, I said that's on Netflix. You can only get it on Netflix. Number two, The Wonder Years. Really? Do you remember The Wonder yeah. Years? Yeah. Great show. I believe it was on ABC. Now you can so, watch it on Netflix, but it follows Kevin Arnold growing up 
in the late 60s, early 70s. Right, okay. With great, great music. And if you can believe it or not, I, I believe the inception of this idea came from a Christmas story. Oh, really? So this kind of similar storytelling and narrative there. Um, just a very wholesome, uplifting show that you can't help but feel good after watching yeah. it. Okay. Don't that's you agree? I, I think that's – I haven't seen that forever. And who? what little boy did not have a crush on oh, Winnie Cooper? Oh, she was my – yeah, she was cute as can be. Yeah. Darling. Okay. Okay. So for this last one, I'm going to play the theme song. You already know what it's going to be, mm-hmm. but uh, this is one of the greatest TV theme songs ever written. Yeah. This is a great show. And it goes so perfectly with what this show is all about. The way that this song makes you feel is how you're going to feel after watching this show. This, of course, is Parks and Recreation. Love it. Which... Palate cleanser. I can't even tell you how much America needs a show like this right now. Yeah. When people are losing faith in government, (laughs) the show follows Amy Poehler's character, Leslie Nope. Spelled with a K. Yeah. And she is a deputy Parks and Rec director. She is the most optimistic. We can do this. You know, we <laughs> government is not bad. We can accomplish great things. And the reason I even started watching the show, I told you there was an interesting story. Not yeah. that interesting, but here it is. Let's go for it. I was a huge fan of The Office. Me too. And over time, I became a little disenchanted with it. And I figured out why. Why? Parks and Rec came on right after The Office. And there, we reached a point where we were laughing more at Parks and Rec than we were at The Office. And I believe it is because The Office is mean-spirited. Mm. It's so mean-spirited. And this show is just so <laughs> kind and happy. She's good at her job. She likes everybody. Everybody in the office cares about each other and would do anything for each other. And it's just a genuinely funny, funny movie. And Ron Swanson doesn't like the government, even though he works for the government. Exactly. But if you want to restore your faith (laughs) in our country and the government, you should really, really watch this show. So there you have it. See, those are are great. And just – it's almost like you just need a good almost comedy once in a while. Mm -hmm. Something that – is just lighthearted to refresh. Right. And then you can go back and, and watch those violent heavy shows. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> then, <laughs> then get back Then to it the... makes it okay and acceptable. It's like a smorgasbord. <laughs> Sometimes you just need a light salad if you're going to go tread it down the yes. meatloaf. Yes. yes. So a sherbet or a sorbet, if you will, you're going to find that Love in a it. Parks and Rec or a Kimmy Schmidt. Yes. Great choices. Great selections. Yeah. I'm on board. Okay. I'm in. All right, everybody. I'm going to give Matt another 10-second break by saying up next we have BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. It's that time again. Let's shoot it down to our good friends at uh, BYU Sports Nation. Today, it's Brian Logan and Jerem Jordan. Hello, gentlemen. What's up, Matty? What's up? What's up? Brian's there. It must be football season starting it's, tomorrow. Yep. That's well, 
It's BYU Pro Day today. Football it is Pro Day today. Day. Yeah, so it's the Underwear Olympics. That's They're right. currently in the indoor practice facility running around. Taysom Hill just uh, was tested on his vertical leap, 38 and a half inches. Wow. Uh, Jamal Williams did the bench press, which is 225 pounds. And Jeez. he did it, what, 18 times? Yep. Wow. So that's going on right now. You can follow on Twitter. Lauren Frankham is there. Uh, but we will have reports from Lauren on the show. Blaine Fowler will join us. We'll give you the numbers. We get, we have a loaded show. Let, let's just go over this. Uh, like I mentioned, Lauren Frankham yep. from the uh, indoor practice facility at Pro yep. Day. Blaine Fowler. Yep. Thank you for validating this, Brian. <laughs> Daniel Sorensen of the He's Kansas City yes Chiefs, <laughs> who just signed a $16 million contract, $8 million guaranteed. $8 wow. million guaranteed. He will join us, plus Jalen Reyes of men's volleyball. He's an assistant coach. They host number one Long Beach State tonight and tomorrow. So huge, huge show. So we brought Brian in for this. Mm. This is big. Yeah. Now, Brian, did you participate in the Underwear Olympics? I did. I how, did. Uh, how was that experience? Was way back in the day, uh, you know, before hashtags were ever invented. Yeah, pre um, pre hashtag <laughs> ph. Yeah, it was. Um, it was fun. It, you know, it was only like seven of us. I think seven seniors. So I think only like five of us actually participated. Uh, probably like two and a half uh, NFL scouts were there. Some <laughs> CFL scouts. Were now there. they're like twenty plus. It, oh yeah, exactly. What, was it uh, nerve wracking? It's got to be scary. This is it. You got to you got to jump. You got to dance. You got to do the deal. And in your underwear. Yeah, you know, I was so I was prepared for that. You know, because I I I kind of passed the eye test pretty easily. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, I w- I think I was nervous the most um, for my height, man. Like just being, you know, being five six. And so when I went and got uh, measured, I was five five and a half. Oh, brother. So I was like, see, I had a chance at five six, man. <laughs> Now, now I'm five, five and a half, I have no chance at all. Oh, yeah. And even though it's only like a half an inch difference, this is the thing. It's, it's, it's kind of like when you go and buy something in the store and it's like $99.99 versus like $97.92, right. Like right? Right, right. It's not a big difference, but the perception of it just is, is, is the, big, the big deal, right? Yeah. And so I was like, yep, my career is over, guys. It was, it was fun. So, yeah. but, but you still looked hot. Yeah, that's you know I got you know forever got Facebook you know photos and stuff oh, yeah. like that. And oh yeah, I could, legendary. I could tell my kids, you know, <laughs> legendary. <laughs> Look at that twelve pack right there, son. That they don't is, they don't make those. No, no seriously, more. Brian's pictures are like whoa, this whoa. This guy is ripped. Yeah. Ah, oh, jeez. Yeah. Like what happened, man? <laughs> yeah. What happened? He has he's let himself what go. Happened? <laughs> that's so sad. Hey, so um, so then you're going to be covering that, but that goes. How long does this go? Till about noon. Okay. So we'll be off the air at 11, but we're going to give you uh, all the reports we can between 10 and 11. Of course, follow at BYU Sports Nation on Twitter for the latest and greatest. Uh, and then men's volleyball tonight, by the way, 9 Eastern time. Number one Long Beach State in town against number three BYU. Should be as this, this weekend for men's volleyball, this is as big as it gets in the regular season. Mm. Uh, conference championship online, seeding for the conference tournament, NCAA tournament, seeding implications, so it's going to be awesome coming up later tonight. This is great. And then talk about tomorrow, uh, the big scrimmage. For the first time, we're going to show you the scrimmage, uh, which is going to be awesome. So there's going to be team coverage uh, from the booth, the field, the set, tomorrow coming up 3 Eastern time. You're going to be able to watch a practice. Part of it is the scrimmage, and uh, if everything holds serve to years past, they'll try and keep some of the stars safe and healthy. Yeah. It's not like a uh, true scrimmage like or game like right, some colleges. Right. Or most colleges. They, they won't even say. keep score. But the fun part will be you'll see 
all the guys, uh, you know, perform. They'll go seven on seven. Mm. Will they go eleven on eleven for you know thirty plays and keep scoring? No, but it's going to be awesome. The the open practice, first time ever we've been allowed in there. Wow, we're, we're excited to uh, collaborate with BYU football this year and be able to bring it to the fans. Access interviews on the field during practice with Ooh. players and coaches. D- does any of this matter? Yes. Like yeah, if it didn't, we wouldn't do it. Because they're not. Are they? Are they? (laughs) Do they play the starters? Do they? It matters in that you're going to see. You're going to see who replaces Jamal Williams at running back. You're going to see those guys. You're going to see who BYU has a wide receiver. You're going to see how much bigger and stronger does Fred Warner look. Yeah. Who replaces Kainaku in the secondary? We will start to uh, answer those kind of questions. We won't actually know until some games are played for sure. I think it it matters for the. I, I would say. The second, third string guys, and even for the coaches, right? Trying to find, you know, who are the backups going to be, or if there's spots that need to be filled, um, you know, who's going to fill those spots. And so, you know, you can kind of get a sense of who they're looking at because you you may see a couple guys either rotate at a certain position, or maybe if you see like a guy like Squally Canada, who we we assume is going to be the backup for Jamal, if he's Taking a lot of reps, it's like, oh, hmm. Is Squally the guy? Is, is, is it? Yeah, maybe they want to see him more in actual live play. Yeah, uh, to 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 determine that. So, Ula cool. Tolutau, this kid that signed with Wisconsin, he's a BYU now. Wisconsin. He, he is blowing it up. <laughs> you know, Riley Burt, uh, KJ Hall. There are a lot of guys, a lot of questions too. We'll start to cool. answer those questions. I love you, KJ. And it's football in March. <laughs> you know, you build a sixty-five thousand seat venue for like eight events a year. Right. Six home football games, stadium of fire, yeah. and spring football's scrimmage. Yes. This ball, is it. Ball is it's happening. Mm-hmm. All right, gentlemen. It sounds like a great party. And plus, you still have the uh, underwear escapades. Yes, the mm-hmm. underwear Olympics coming up. It's all ahead. The indoor <laughs> practice facility will give you a video of that. Oh, boy. <laughs> Scary. It's only five minutes away, too. So good luck, guys. Knock them dead. I know you got to get to makeup and uh, get ready. Five minutes away. BYU Sports Nation. They'll be covering it all. But uh, before we go there, we've got to um, we got to talk about this woman. So let's say your name is Alexa or Siri. Your name is Alexa or Siri. Excellent. Uh, is life now a, a, a living nightmare for you? Yes, because two technology technological advances are now ruining your life. Oh. I always bump. I always bump up against that button. I know. I do too. And then, then, uh, then you're just trying to fix it. So check this out. Try having the same name as two of the most popular virtual assistants. That's the dilemma facing a 21 year old college student in New Jersey whose name is Alexa Siri. Alexa just happens to be the name of the human-like bot on the Amazon Echo device, while Siri is one on Apple iPhones and computers. Siri spells her name, by the way, S-E-A-R-Y, but she describes her life as a waking nightmare. In the beginning when Siri came out, I got it all the time. Uh, She said, if I introduced myself with the last name, people would always tie it to that. Siri says when Apple first introduced Siri in 2011, friends and colleagues at a restaurant she works part-time in kept addressing her by her last name as if she were a machine. It got worse in 2015 when Amazon released its Echo device, which has a Siri-type helper named Alexa. Man, alive. It started off at work. It would be, Siri, do this. Siri, do that. And now the same thing is with Alexa. She said, most people just say, ha ha, I'm telling you what to do. Ha 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 ha. That's where you just want to pop them right in the kisser. I mean, if you're violent, which we do not agree with. We are not violent people. 
She says, I'm okay. I'm okay. That's funny. I'm like, I've never heard that before. Siri didn't realize that it was pronounced uh, that it was pronounced the same way as her last name. Although Siri has uh, S-I-R-I on her phone, she refuses to get the Amazon Echo, saying it would be a complete disaster. She's not going to allow the Echo into her home. You know, another complete disaster is the Siri butt dial where you're sitting there nice and quiet in your living room and you hear, I'm sorry, I cannot find results for, honey, I know you're pregnant, but can you go in the kitchen and make me a sandwich? Yeah. Don't you hate that? I've never had that that. happen to me. Has that happened to you? That's kind of strange. She just records your entire conversation. Yeah, everything. Hey, get off your sister. Quit hitting her. Ah, we're learning a lot about each other on the show, and you're learning about us. Hey, as, we, as you know, we like to end the show with a hero story. Today's hero is a, a MP, Tobias Elwood, who tried to save somebody that was stabbed in that uh, terrorist attack in the U.K. Foreign Office Minister Tobias Elwood has been called a hero after he was pictured giving first aid to PC Keith Palmer, one of the casualties of the London terror attack. PC Palmer was stabbed by the attacker, who was shot by police. Mr. Elwood, a conservative MP and former Army officer, performed mouth-to-mouth resuscitation on PC Palmer in the New Palace Yard at Westminster. Four people, including the police officer and attacker, died. At least 40 people were injured, including three other officers. Eyewitnesses described scenes of panic as the attacker was shot several times as he approached the second police officer to the House of Parliament. Paramedics fought to save his life and that of his victim on the floor of the cobbled courtyard in front of the Parliament. Mr. Elwood, whose brother died in Bali terrorist bombing in 2002, was among those who rushed to help and attempted mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. So you are the hero of the day. Foreign Minister, Foreign Office Minister Tobias Elwood, thank you so much for uh, doing what you could and um, being there. Again, folks, that's all that makes the hero in these crazy moments of terror and, uh, and disaster is when you just step up and do what you can do. And we need more heroes in the world. We also just need more people that are heroes at home, that go home and, and make a difference in the lives of the people they love. That is the show. And that's why we bring it to you every Monday through Friday, 9 to noon here, Eastern Time. We'll be back Monday with more ideas, more information to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier, happier lives. Until then, catch us on iTunes, on Stitcher, on TuneIn. Go to BYURadio.org. And we'll be back Monday, my friends. Bright and shiny new day. Stick with us. Until Monday, make it a great one.